I'm Carrie Corgan, and this is The Opus, an exploration of legendary records and their ongoing legacy. In our latest season, I'm joined by Lizzie Hale, Warren Zanes, Daphne A. Brooks, and many more to revisit Jeff Buckley's Grace. We discuss Buckley's femininity in an era of hypermasculine alt-rock, how the record's mythology was shaped by his tragic death, and the delicate work of keeping his legacy alive. Find us at Consequence of Sound or wherever you listen to podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. From the leafy streets of Springwood, Ohio, to the barred windows at 1428, we are Halloweenies. This is God. Come here, piggy. I've got some gingerbread for you. Actually, I don't. I have a new episode of Halloweenies, a Freddy Krueger podcast. And if you've been listening to us these past seven or eight months, you'll know that we're in Wes Craven's new nightmare. I am Michael Robert Shea Rothman, and I used Robert instead of Bob because of alliteration. And that's uh, just the little things you know when you're the editor-in-chief, and uh, that's what I am at Consequence of Sound. And I'm here this morning at the New Line Cinema Studios offices talking about this real meta movie. And we're going to be very meta ourselves. Before I go on, I want to hear my co-hosts tell how they first saw that movie. I'm going to go right to you. I'm pointing at you right now in this our boardroom. This is Mackenzie Miko Hughes Gerber. Oh, I like that one. And uh, I am a co-host of this podcast as well as the Losers Club. And the first time I saw this film had to have been on home video. I, 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 it was still, I was still too young to see these films in the, on the big screen, but I know that my older brother did and he's not on this episode, but I do remember seeing this trailer for the first time and it just, it blew me away because I don't know if this trailer was the impetus for me watching all these films in a, in a row. You know, I, I probably had seen like one or one and two maybe, or like one and three here and there, but yeah, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure about that, but I just remember the trailer very vividly, and I remember it's creeping me out. And I just thought, what a what an interesting idea. So you don't remember? Do you remember seeing the movie posters at all? I, uh, yeah, I do remember seeing yeah. the movie posters. But yeah. I, 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 the first thing I ever saw, th- I think, was the trailer. Yeah. Remember when trailers only came out in the theater? I know, and it was a real surprise because yeah. you had zero clue. Now it's just like, you know. Did all we? All right. Mind. So I had a question that that's because I've been watching Mindhunter, and at one point, one of the characters is like. Um, oh, we just, you know, we'll miss a, f- a few trailers. But did, nah. did people call it trailer? I thought we, people called it like movie previews back then or like previews. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, how about you tell us? <laughs> uh, this is Lara Fuck You Understall. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about the trailer <laughs> preview thing. Um, I think my mom called them previews. And yeah. if we ever missed them, she was pissed at me. Just yeah. at me. Um, <laughs> so... What am I talking about? I'm talking about the first time I saw this movie, which was uh, the other day. Wow. Uh, yeah, somehow, Whoa. despite being what I thought was a big fan of the franchise, I had missed this one. I don't think I completely realized what kind of movie it was. I had sort of shuffled it off in my head as just another late sequel in the series. And, um, you know, like the equivalent of like Hellraiser 7, which is Ooh. not worth watching. Oof, um, yeah, that's better? Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, a yeah. good one. Is that a fat pinhead in it? 
I don't know. I don't. Oh, they all blur together after Adam Scott Shoe-horn, shows up. For yeah. Me. yeah, yeah. Um, Shoehorned in at the last <laughs> second. Yes. Uh, so, so for that reason, um, I hadn't seen it. So this was a re- it was a treat for me in, in some ways. I, I, you know, as soon as I realized, I, I read a little bit about it before starting to watch, and I was like, oh, it's this kind of movie. We're going to Metatown. Um, so that was exciting for me as an adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have more thoughts than this, but oh, I'll, we will share. Yeah. I'll oh, save yeah. them. Well, we got one more person in our boardroom, but uh, he seems to be calling in from our satellite new line office uh, down in Austin, Texas. Uh, please introduce yourself, sir. Hi, this is Dan, Dr. Christine Hefner, Caffrey, <laughs> <I'm> the doctor. <laughs> nice. And she was named, I found out from the commentary, after the head of the MPAA at the time, who was a thorn in West Craven's side in making him cut stuff from all his movies. Um, yeah, I, I didn't watch, I didn't watch any of the nightmare movies until I binged them all one weekend when I was 12 years old, I think. But I do remember seeing the trailer for this and they did it kind of an exclusive sneak peek on entertainment tonight. And I remember kind of like all you guys, I remember the marketing doing a pretty good job of not spoiling exactly what the movie was, you know, like I remember watching the entertainment tonight and being like, wait, this, it, it is a Freddy movie, but it isn't but they weren't really clear about what was going on, which I commend them for because I think the movie is very surprising if you, if you don't know what you're getting into. And um, yeah, it still feels really unique to me even today. I, I do think the movie is a little bit more flawed than people give it credit for, but uh, we'll get into that later. But I, I, I respect its, um, its cojones and uh, just in its concept and, and everything like that. So yeah, I, I was blown away by it when I first saw it and, um, and also by the marketing because it's, it's hard to keep a secret around a film these days. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I, I actually had seen it. I, I really don't remember the first time I had seen it, and, and I know that I had rented it when I was on my Elm Street Elm Street kick, and probably God, in middle school, if not you know younger than that. Um, and I think I probably saw it maybe a year after it hit VHS because uh, I, I had seen A Nightmare on Elm Street as uh, as a kid, but I never really continued on until the sequels until much later when I had. When I was going on a more horror movie kick. So, yeah, this is strictly like a blockbuster rental for me. Mm-hmm. Um, although one of my favorite memories watching this, and it's very fitting because today is like raining like crazy and I got soaked getting here. Um, but a previous time I had seen it and probably the first time I watched it as an adult was at your apartment, Mac, like a few years ago. Oh, yeah. And it was one of the nights where I, I'd, I hadn't gone to your new apartment yet. So I was just running <laughs> down the street and this is before like I even had a smartphone, I think. And I was like, I, I don't know what house it is. So I just kept like calling and I was like, wait, where, where are you? Which house? And it was just pouring that. so bad that I just was soaked by the time I got there and I had to borrow clothes or whatever. But, um, I just was remember that watching that. And on then, Hermitage? Which I think it was on Hermitage. Yeah. Like that was like six years ago. That was, a, that was a lot. Six, you know. No, it was like seven or eight years ago. Yeah. It was a long time ago. <laughs> um, cause I, I don't even think like Heather and I had moved in at the point. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a very, very long time ago, but that, that was one of the times I remember actually really watching it coherently and being like, Oh wow, this is really clever, um, and and I still think it's very clever. But yeah, like like you, Dan, I, I definitely um, I have some gripes with uh, with a, a lot of it, and I, I think that there's you know some things to discuss and discuss. We will because uh, you know, hey, we have our sections here at Halloweenies, and uh, we're gonna have to slice and dice through them. But before we go into this film. Uh, we uh, we need to talk about some of the stuff that's going on in the uh, Elm Street universe. And let me tell you, that is a very quiet and uh, dark and miserable uh, place to be in right now because there's not much. But what little we do have, we're going to take in a section we like to call... Don't miss me. 
recognize that quote? I think I do because mm. it's in the movie that we're talking about today. Oh. Uh, but yeah, so look, not a lot uh, in the last uh, episode. I think you guys were talking about how like Alexandra Aha was, um, you know, rumored to be tackling, um, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, or a sequel, or whatever. That did not. That's not true. It's not coming to fruition at all. Um, it still remains in limbo. Um, however, you know, this is kind of like a, a non-story. This is what I'm saying when we're just reaching at anything in the in the Elm Street universe. But um, James Wan came out recently and said that he's working on a secret film, horror film, and everyone all, all of a sudden just started theorizing like, oh, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a, an Elm Street movie. And it lasted for like a few days until finally like he actually, you know, they had to like come back out and say, no, this is an Elm Street. Yeah, this he had to come happening. out and say, uh, I don't want to disappoint billions of people. So, no, <laughs> it's not Elm Street. So you're not a James Wan fan? Not too much? Or? No, I, there, I think James Wan... I think as a director, I think can be very effective, yeah. but I don't, I don't know about like everything else. Yeah. I don't know. Because I don't know if I'd want him on this. No, I would definitely would not want him on this. No, no, absolutely no. not. Who would we want? Lord like no. it, might, it started Lord making no. me think like what director would we want to do an Elm Street movie right now? Uh, Ari Aster. Oh God. Yes. That would be amazing. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. I, yeah. I just think he would, I, I don't know. I mean, because he's also kind of the cerebral horror director, yeah. you know, sort of spiritually related to Wes Craven, if not in any other way in terms of his content. But um, I don't know. That could be kind of fun. He would make it all about grief. Everybody oh, God, would be weeping. Yeah. yeah, it would be good. I, I bet you, like, Freddy wouldn't even really be in it that much. It would just yeah. be, like, the characters, like, just hating each other more. I just, right. I they just, were the Freddies all along. Yeah. I just go to that scene in Hereditary where uh, Tony Collette turns the light off and the grandmother's yes. standing there, but, but replace Freddy standing yeah, there. Like, <sighs> yes, yes. But just, like, in darkness like we don't get mtv freddy we get yeah the freddy that's quiet during most of this movie actually yes. which I, I can't wait to talk about mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. We, i want i want the real the real bad freddy well bad news not happening still dead it's not gonna there's not gonna be any nightmare on Elm street movie that's coming out um Bummer. but hey there's a lot of uh, little things that are fun and happening um if you follow us on our socials you know that um, me and my girlfriend Sammy uh, Kaikadal, who's also on uh, the Fifth Dimension, one of our podcasts here in Consequence Podcast Network, uh, we went to Flashback HorrorCon here in Chicago, and um, that was the same week that we actually interviewed Heather Langenkamp. So that interview is going to be uh, coming out after this episode. So you'll have that in support of the new nightmare. Um, but while at that convention, I mean, it was a, it was almost like a Nightmare on Elm Street convention for the most part. Um, so it was, it, well, was, it was a huge reunion. It was right? a huge reunion. I mean, it, it was also kind of overwhelming because when we went to the actual uh, con um, at the Crown Royal um, Hotel or whatever, um, or Crown Plaza, <laughs> Crown Royal Hotel, um, there was <laughs> it was pretty different. It was overwhelming hotel. just to see how many people were there. I mean, Heather Langenkamp was there. Amanda Weiss um, was there. Uh, Lisa Wilcox was there. Tuesday night was there. Brooke Feast was there. Toy Newkirk, Lisa Zane, um, and Robert England. Robert England himself. And actually, what's really great is that Robert England had this like boiler room setup um, that was there on the um, in the background. And oh, nice! I snap. I managed to snap up like a little secret photo that I I got from. The, Did you send it to him? And say I got. Oh, you. I said to him. I got we, it for free. We got buddy. you. Gotcha. I got it for free. What are you going to do? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, was, he puts a Venmo request. <laughs> yeah, you send yeah, it. To, yeah. You send it to him with like twenty bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hey. hey. Um, but while they were there, um, because a lot of it was, you know, there's a lot of downtime when you're at a convention, 
they took a really great photo and it looks a lot like the, the breakfast club photo, but like basically Robert England's laying there. Um, and all the, the women are surrounding him and it, it's a really cool photo just to see them all in one room. Yeah. Together. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. So I'm I thought that was neat. So bummed that I missed this convention. Like I'm try, I've been trying not to think about it because it just, I will start weeping. So I, I'm, I'm just keeping it, keeping it close to my chest right now, guys. So. It was, it was really, it was cute. I say cute because it, it was small, you know, it's a smaller place. It's, it, but it was, there were a lot of great, great vendors. Um, you know, it was right at the beginning of the month, so I had some money in my pocket, which is always dangerous at these things. And, yes, that's um, part of why I didn't go because I've like I have a few other things that I either already spent money on or pl- am planning to, um, and I was like, I I will bankrupt myself at yeah. this thing. Yeah, yeah, and and honestly, what was really charming, and this is kind of a Halloween use uh, connection, also is uh, so Tom Atkins was uh, was there mostly <laughs> because they had a night of the Creeps reunion. And, oh no, um, they did too. No, yeah. I didn't. Oh God, so, Mike, you're just killing her. There, it was, it was a lot, here. and also all the Devil, Evil Dead uh, folks were there. I actually bumped into Sam Raimi by uh, accident, uh, um, which was really embarrassing. I've purposely been like tuning out because I sort of <laughs> saw the email because I, I usually go to that convention, and uh, yeah, I, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, it was it was it was. It was was a lot but it, uh we didn't we, you know all the atms were down and they only take cash for the meet and greets right, right um and so uh we had been walking by a lot of the tables and everyone's just like hey hey and we were like I, I, we can't go over there because we don't have money so um we we walked around our tom atkins table enough and uh, my girlfriend's so obsessed with tom, tom atkins and she was just like i can't believe that we're not going to be able to like meet him and I, there's no cash anywhere like how are we supposed to do this and you know, finally, she was just like, I just got to go up to him and just say that I, you know, sit, explain our predicament. So she did. And he was just cracking up. and was like, I don't, that doesn't matter, you know, and like, you know, hugged her. Um, and she was like shaking from excitement. And, you know, he was just consoling her. And he was, it was just a very nice thing. And he insisted, he was like, get a girlfriend, you know, get, get a photo of your girlfriend, you know? And so we got a photo together and they just were, you know, just a great moment. And he just was, he was just a great guy. So all of, you know, all I the just, praise that we give Atkins totally. Oh legit. yeah. No, I love Atkins. Awesome. And, and, and I would be, I would love Atkins. I would love Atkins and some of the other, uh, just those, those classic, uh, character actors that in these, some of these other horror films to show up in, in the new nightmare film, oh, whenever I they it. do do it. But I could just see the, the camera panning over slowly to Robert England <laughs> seething. <laughs> <laughs> just like, just like what the fuck's going on over here? Fucking Tom's at it again. <laughs> Either way. Fun little weekend. It's awesome. I'm that's, glad you got to talk to Heather. That's super great. And she, yeah, she. That's. I'm really excited about that interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to be talking also to Lisa Wilcox. We had to um, kind of reschedule things. So, um, hoping that we, you know, make that happen. Uh, but either cool. way, the hour long interview with Heather Langenkamp is going to be great. This is just a little bit of trivia. I didn't realize that came out actually recently, a few days ago. Is that uh, Freddy Krueger was supposed to be in um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. Hmm. Which one is seven? I, seven. I well, so seven is is the one with where they decided to go the more of the carry route with yeah, the tele, like the new blood, right? Telekinetic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the one with yeah. uh, with um, Corey Feldman's in. in like no, five, no, no, right? no. Um, That's like five. Feldman's oh, in four the and the oh. beginning of six. The one with the woman with the telepathic powers. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. it's with blood. Bernie it's from Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, some of the initial, some of the original ideas for that were were to do a crossover with Fred Krueger, and then they they ended up going the other route. But um, that's mainly because I think just the popularity of Carrie and all yeah. that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so because uh, you know originally um, they're supposed to do that, and then New Line and Paramount can come to an agreement about the distribution, right? So like finally, like you know, they're like, no, nah, it's not happening. 
So, yeah. oh, well, but hey. Don't worry. <laughs> Wait for our next episode. We got it for our next episode. <laughs> but uh, until that next episode, look, my, my head hurts. I just, I, I need to go, I need to go yeah, see a doctor. I, I think we need to admit you somewhere. Well, where, where, where are we? I don't even know where, what, what town are we in? We're in, what, Springwood? Oh, my God. I thought we were at New Line. Let's just go to the Weston Hills Asylum. The fact that we all dreamt about this guy before we ever met doesn't seem to impress anybody. So we go in circles, making minimal progress with maximum effort. You won't make any progress until you recognize your dreams for what they are. And what are they? The byproducts of guilt. Psychological scars stemming from moral conflicts and overt sexuality. Great, Nash, my dick is killing me. Most elaborate, ridiculous set. <laughs> so dumb. Jesus Christ. All right, well, look. I like I had to explain that we weren't at New Line anymore. <laughs> hey, we gotta, stay, we gotta stay real. We gotta stay true. We established the location. We don't want to confuse people. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, there's a lot of pre-production history for this one because this is a big production. You know, we, we bring back uh, the master himself, Wes Craven. Uh, he came back into the fold for this one in Nightmare 7, some people might call this. I call it New Nightmare, but some people might call it Nightmare 7. And some people call it Nightmare 7.1 because uh, there were uh, 7.1 earthquakes that were happening at the time. So mm-hmm. we're getting ahead of ourselves, though. Basically, Freddy's dead happens. We all thought he was dead. We all thought that they buried him six feet under, but that wasn't the case. No, 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 no. So following Freddy's dead, Wes Craven... Uh, a new line, they had actually buried the hatchet. Um, they, you know, and nearly a decade's worth of, you know, financial and creative difficulties. You know, obviously he felt like he was been screwed over with some of the scripts because they didn't actually even really use his script for Nightmare 3. They just used ideas and stuff. Mm-hmm. So Bob, old Robert Shea, this is my nickname is, uh, called up Wes and they wanted to work together again. They, you know, they wanted to do one more Freddy. And in the documentary Never Sleep Now, um, England says that, like, Wes needed to answer his critics, which I don't really know if he needed to. That seems a little I don't even know what that means. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so they wanted to do another Freddy. They had Wes on board. He, you know, he signed the contract. We're going to do this. We're going to bring him back. I mean, again, this is 94. That it's, This movie is going to be coming out. It actually came out on October 14th, 1994. So really, only, like, less than three years or a little, yeah, a little less than three years after Freddy's dead. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. These days. I mean, back then, I guess it seemed, uh, normal, normal sequel time was usually about three years. Yeah. Although I feel like we have constant sequels now, like how many Spider-Men. Oh yeah. And they don't wait long when a franchise is dead. Uh, when did amazing Spider-Man came out only like three or three or four years after, the, the Spider-Man 3. Well, nah, it was about five years. It was about five right. years, though. Too too soon. Well, hey. Too you know, soon to it, reboot an entire franchise, I well, feel. Well, hey, look. I mean, LCD Sound System came back in, you know, 2016. So that was uh, only five years after they disbanded. Yeah, so how many times are they going to leave and come so, back? So LCD Sound System was dead longer than Freddy, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. <laughs> uh Anyway, so David, I think Freddie was dead long before Freddie's dead. Unfortunately, I agree. I um, think, and I think that's what I think Wes agreed with that too. Because when he was tasked with the idea of like, all right, well, we're going to bring him back, he was like, I, you know, you watch. He's even though he says he doesn't watch the sequels, um, multiple interviews, um, he clearly had to watch the sequels for this to understand where the hell they go with the story. And he right. said he couldn't make up anything like other than being able to say like, let's just scrap these sequels. He's like, I, I, I don't know. I don't really know where to go from this. <laughs> So, I mean, he basically came up with this idea that, uh, you know, 
after he started talking to, you know, Heather Langenkamp because he wanted to bring her back and he started talking about like the FS, SFX crews, um, you know, he had found out that, uh, you know, Heather had a stalker from just the 10 of us, not yes. even from the horror franchises, which is hilarious. Yeah. The, um, uh, not hilarious, but it's, 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 I, wholesome, it's ironic. Mm-hmm, the wholesome sitcom, I, you know, just given all the current video games make you crazy conversation. Yes. Uh, it's like it's actually uh, sitcoms. So take that. Yeah. Certain political figures. Ridiculous. Yeah. So then, you know. He realized, and this is from uh, a quote I'm pulling from Fangoria, that there was more reality and pain in what she was telling me, Heather, uh, than in any story I could make up. Now, this kind of contradicts some things I, I, I actually heard from the New Nightmare commentary, uh, which he said that this idea he had for Dream Warriors, um, but New Line was like no deal. So mm-hmm. maybe like the impetus of it or something. A yeah. bit of both, because I think maybe the stalker thing came from the stalker thing, but the meta meta metaness came from his original dream warriors ideas and he just married the two that was the sense that i got i yeah. could just be making excuses no, no that's, what, that's right. what i'd read i it's where i had read that he had come up with this idea during dream warriors and they rejected it but on the commentary which is pretty extensive he didn't he doesn't mention that at all but i had read that also that like that that he had had this idea for a long time well i think the idea of making freddy more of the eternal like demon-esque freddy the more dark freddy with the cloak and all that stuff from his original idea maybe he had thought about doing that I, i'm maybe even the meta angle although yeah. that's pretty early to be going meta yeah i don't think it would have worked as well as it works after you know five other movies you know yeah mm-hmm. and, and and i think i mean a lot of this really did come from just like immediate experiences that was happening. I mean, based on some of the interviews that I've been reading up on him, um, you know, when he says like there was more reality and pain in what she was telling me, like he really took that reality to heart. I mean, he talks about how um, it was like a literal nightmare to write. Um, He said like, I started having a series of dreams. This is what he tells Fangoria. And I began writing them all down. I never really knew where the script was going. I was catching it on the wing. I would dream something up, um, wake up and write what I had dreamed. Uh, and then he, he also t- said because of that process, it was like a, it was insane and fraught with the crew because they were constantly like, all right, where's the script, which is a running gag in the movie mm-hmm. or not a gag, yeah, but like a running theme yeah. in the movie. Um, he said that, you know, the, that basically like, um, the relationship with the cast and was tough. And a lot of the strain came from the fashion, which I was writing the script. We did not begin making this film with a set in stone shooting script, which is you want to go look at some really great examples of that. Go to see Jurassic Park three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was writing pages daily based on dreams I had the night before. So there was a lot of fear on a constant basis that I was going to come in and the next day and make changes based on what I had dreamed the previous night. There's always tension on the set. You could see it in everybody's eyes every day when I'd come in. It was like, oh, my God, what did he dream last night? What did he come in with now? It was particularly terrifying ordeal for Heather in that the story was very much based on her own life. And every day she would be playing out one of these trials that she had already gone through. For Heather, this was all very personal. And she wasn't really sure she wanted to deal with a lot of it again. So there was quite a bit of strain on her. And I think you kind of see that strain in this movie for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I'm interested in talking about her when we get there. But yeah, I think Mm -hmm. I think it shows and it works. I think it's got it had to be such a strange experience for her, especially as it's like I I was joking to myself alone, um, which I do, that this is the (laughs) the the dark tower of the Freddy series, you know, and it's like she's in one one universe of of herself, you know, but it's it's had to be like just very uh, like almost like splitting your psyche in half in order to play with yourself, but with a fake husband and yada, yada. I also wanted to talk about um 
Wes's earlier versions of the script, yeah. you know, in which, you know, if you watch uh, Never Sleep Again, um, they show some sketches of where he is, you know, had to cut off his own eyelids. And basically he has to finish the script to not be killed by Freddy. And he's like and being he was driven like, around by, was it Michael Berryman from Hills yeah, of Eyes? Hills of Eyes yeah, great. it's like, it's just such a great image. And I would have really loved to see that because, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's too early in the, in the sewed to uh, get into my, my beef. Um, but I, I feel like Wes's character, like the character of Wes in this film, um, doesn't seem particularly haunted yeah. by what's happening. He's just like, yeah, I'm just in my mansion having coffee. Uh, yeah, you might be killed by a dream demon. Uh, it's fine. Um, the effects. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I would have really liked to see, you know, I think that just would have been way more horrifying and, and really added to the themes of the film. If he, as the author, um, was, brought this horror to him. Right. And he was just much more haunted by it, you know, yeah. um, yeah, I think that he based on because there's another interview <laughs> that I found that was uh, I, I swear to God, it must have been when he was like doing like music of the heart, uh, like the press tour for it, because it was around. <laughs> the, it looked like he's it looked like his, that era of West. And it was also from like 1998, 1999, which I think was when it was came out, you know, came out. And he basically talked about how, you know, a lot of this movie came from obviously the conceit that, you know, he wanted to bring this this image of like the cast and crew being plagued by the phenomenon of Freddie. You know, like Robert England wasn't able to escape it. Heather Langenkamp wasn't able to escape it, which were all true, you know, for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. But he also wanted to like basically tackle the idea that, um, you know, obviously with the censorship with, with horror films and, you know, and what that does. And he actually has a really interesting... Um, take on it because he goes back to like Greek mythology and a lot of folklore in the idea that if you like suppress these stories and you don't actually tell these stories, then your consciousness takes this type of horror to another place and it manifests elsewhere. And, um, he basically used that sort of argument as a fuck you to the critics, basically saying like back off unless you want to experience the real thing and then experience on the, you know, the cinema. And, you know, then he also ultimately said, it was like the freshest way to do a sequel, which was like, duh. Like, I mean, nobody yeah. had done anything. I, it's funny because I, I actually really, and, and I, I do want to make it clear, I really do like this movie a lot. It's one of my favorite Nightmare sequels. But what you just said, Mike, I think is much more interesting than the explanation we get in this movie. Yes. Like yeah. when yes. we're at his house, I feel like that to me feels much more cerebral and mysterious rather than how explicit Wes Craven gets with the explanation of Freddy, which well, I'll, I'll save that for when we talk about both those characters later on. But yeah, because that's actually really interesting to me. The, the whole, and yeah. he talks a lot about that doctor I mentioned who was named after this MPAA person. He talks a lot in the commentary about censorship and how he thinks it's really unhealthy and how it's sort of dogged him throughout his career. And it did. I mean, but then again, think about the movies he was making. Well, and, and then I, snuff I, movies almost. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I always say this about the censorship angle. You know, like, I don't think we would have had any of these great classic horror films if censorship didn't exist. And they had to think outside of the box I agree. to get these some of these scares in there the way and, and be effective the way that they want them to be. I mean, say what, say what you will. I, I, I do think it, it can be unhealthy to an extent, but I do think it forces people to be creative in a way that they probably would not have been if they were just given carte blanche. And like, I, I think that that speaks volumes to especially huge, huge directors now. I mean, good God, look at Steven Spielberg. That that guy has so many yes men around him and he's doing all these movies, but like, you know, we're not seeing ET. We're not seeing jazz. We're not seeing Reds of Lost Ark. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you've got to, you've got to give these people constraints still. And like the checks um, and balances. To yeah, like, absolutely. To absolutely. I think that's why I think that a lot of people lose their way. It's not because they've lost it. It's just because they don't have anyone 
telling, they don't have any, there's no parameters anymore. Well, yeah. And, and once you gain that much power and status, I mean, there are actually studies that show you get like a little bit dumber, <laughs> you know, with the more power you have because, because you're not used to hearing no, and you're not used to thinking creatively anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a slight differentiation between censorship from like the, like, you know, ban violent video games kind of censorship to people telling uh, someone creatively that like, this isn't a good path. No, we got to change that. Cause that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this other than I, I do think like Dan said, it's a really, really, really interesting idea that is so cool. And it's what made me excited about this movie. Um, but I think the idea is more than the execution. And, and I honestly think that it really is sort of his rough draft, at least in conceit, uh, for Scream, which would come totally. out you know, two yeah. years later, yeah. which he absolutely nails mm-hmm. you know, with aplomb in that film. Um, granted, he also had some help with Kevin Williamson at that point. But, um, you know, for the most part, this film almost seems like this sort of prequel to that in a way, at least conceptually. Totally. Um, and, and we were talking yesterday, you know, Mac, like what other movies have really done this like ever? I mean, uh, we, t- we were saying like Kirby enthusiasm and I was arguing that like, you know, <laughs> the Larry Sanders show has like the heightened versions of the actors, but like actually taking source material of pop culture and then peeling back into reality, like Jane uh, Sound Bob. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Mac, Mac, I was just gonna say that. I was like, Mike, you're not gonna like. I it, could hear, I, I could hear Dan laughing, and but, I, somehow I knew. <laughs> but here's the thing, like, and I guess yeah, because in Jane Sound Bob, you do see Ben Affleck and Matt Damon also play themselves, even though they're also playing characters. No, obviously, it's high, no heightened versions sense. or Scream Three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Scream but that's yeah, like, way after the fact, and you know, same kind oh, of thing. It, it is funny how I think this movie was a kind of a warm up for Scream, which obviously did a lot better at the box office than this did. And then, but then eventually, the Scream series was sort of like Scream three and four, especially were I, not. I don't want to say recycling New Nightmare, but I think sort of expanding some of those ideas again. Like it, it, it's interesting how how fascinated Wes Craven was by the metafictional aspect of everything. I think from here on out, throughout kind of the rest of his career, you know. I, I'm a, I agree, yeah. And I and I think that there's a lot of things in this film particularly that still hold up um in ways oh, that wait, Jan Sunbobber in Scream Three too. Aren't yes, sorry, just, so yeah, that's why is. I said yeah. that. Yeah. Oh my god, I forgot about this. <laughs> well, one of the worst scenes in motion picture history. <laughs> it's just, it's awful. It's awful. Um, but, but yeah, no, I think like there are a lot of concepts of this film that I still feel really do hold up. And I think that there are, you know, it's funny, um, uh, Mike Vanderbilt, friend of the pod, um, uh, co-host on the pod too. Sometimes uh, he actually suggested a few, like a couple years ago. It was, well, it was actually last year, I think, right before Halloween 2018. He was just like, "When are we finally just going to see a movie about the making of Halloween?" You know, and like, when are we just going to actually? Because that, for itself, like, is more interesting at this point than a lot of the actual mythos in the actual franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's, you hear about all these back, you know, backstage stories and, and all these behind the scene scene stories and all. We're gonna get Steve Buscemi playing John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, I told you to do another cut. God damn it, you stupid <laughs> fucking no. Um, it just goes off and it's like not even really John Carpenter at all. Like, um, but uh, <laughs> just playing his Fargo role. Uh, yeah, but no. Um, so I, and I think that this kind of answers that that question of like there is a lot of like people are interested in inside baseball, even though you know inside baseball by its nature usually seems like you're you know alienating. Exactly. Yeah. Well, have you seen One Cut of the Dead? No, it's no. More recent. Um, 
movie, but I mean, if you want to talk meta, I watched the whole first half of that movie going, what the hell? Like, why are we watching this? This sucks, but the payoff is amazing. And it's really a movie that could, I think it was made by filmmakers as like a love letter to filmmakers, to horror filmmakers specifically. But um, I mean, just thinking along the lines of metafiction, like I think that really took a fresh approach to it because I think at this point, like meta is almost done you know people yeah. are tired oh, of God, it. We're I'm like exhausted po- by it. post meta oh, yeah. like especially now. in comedy i can't stand like yes. meta comedy anymore yeah and this was one of the only things recently that i've seen do that well and i was just thinking about that like if it would work to do a making of halloween even now because people are just so tired i think yeah. you'd almost want to do it straight i don't know yeah. i don't know yeah no and, and and but like even just going back to like the idea of like this this concept i think that my the most applause I give this film is in its execution of some of the areas of what they were trying to do conceptually. I think, and I can't, and I have to say, like I probably can't fault it too much because it really was treading new ground. Like it's right. not, yeah, like you know absolutely. we could look back in hindsight and be like, well, they could have done this better. But it's also because we have now have like twenty five years of them doing meta narratives, taking that idea mm-hmm. and doing new and yeah. probably executing things in a in a better way. I mean, but even, it's because they got the idea you exactly. Know? Yeah. and like even just think about the earthquakes. Like, look how fucking cool that is that he, they're able to incorporate the real life nineteen ninety four earthquakes into this. That had to be such. I mean, they they spoke about that like on the set the effect because they they wrote the script and started filming before that mega earthquake happened in january of 94 and um just like just that feeling of working on a meta project and then having something happen in reality that reflects what you're working on it sort of adds a layer of madness like encroaching i i I would just be losing my mind as an anxious person i'd be like it's happening we're all gonna (laughs) die oh no yeah yeah Yeah. and i think with the meta angle of this too I, i love the idea like justin mentioned when we were watching it that there's no opening credits. There's no, no opening titles. Oh, you're and, right. And they, and they never come. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, that was done on purpose, obviously, but I, I love that. The movie well, yeah, just he, starts. He, he you don't know if it's a documentary. You don't know. It's like really cool. He talks about in the commentary how, because uh, I think, yeah, the first time we see it is just at the very, very end where Heather is reading um, Dylan, the, Dylan the script. And I think that, yeah, the, and, and he also says too, I think you see written by Wes Craven first. And he said he had to let before the directing thing. And he, I think he had to like fight to get that because usually I think with like the DGA, you always do the director first or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. So I think it, it's, it's interesting how strategic he was about the credits. And, and nowadays it's pretty par for the course to like not see credits at all in the beginning. Like I think with, I remember with Batman begins, they st- that was like the first movie I could remember um, that didn't have any credits, but, but, I think for all, even though the movie does have flaws, I, I, yeah, I think I will always love it because of how revolutionary it was. Like no one else was doing this. And this wasn't, this was like pre-screen too. I mean, this is like what, 94 is the movie came out. I mean, that no one was doing that back no. then. So yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm always going to show respect. It's it kind of, that. it's also kind of crazy. I mean, I guess there's a lot of movies that kind of do, you have like a copycat killer of something that they saw on TV or something like that. But you think of all these other horror franchises, like, Michael Myers or, you know, or like Halloween or, or Friday the 13th, even, you know, like, you, like there wouldn't be some kind of meta esque sequel at this point. Yeah. These are franchises that have had like 10 sequels, Yeah, you know, or, or you know, it, it's amazing to me that they haven't jumped on that train and maybe they just don't think the idea could work as well, but also it could be financially. Know. Cause I mean, look, this is, it sucks because this is actually one of the more imaginative and innovative sequels, but it's the lowest grossing sequel mm-hmm. in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Yeah, they say, I think they 
you know, thought maybe it was too much for the general audiences to like get into it, which is, you know, a pity because I, I think, but I, but these days I think that they're, you know, speaking of Ari Aster again, I think there's a lot more hunger for intellectual horror and like yeah. horror that's yeah. a little more art house, you know? So yeah. Well, if it's that, then maybe they can make a, another new nightmare, new, like new, 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 nightmare, like new, new nightmare with like NU, like new metal. Yeah. 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 And do it like set in a college where like Robert England's <laughs> talking about Freddie, yes. you know, oh, and Robert it's like Eng- highbrow. High yeah. I want to see where Robert England's like a, 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 a step in college professor. Oh, you want to see teaching, that? Teaching classes on, uh, on film and, and <laughs> having Freddie come, come back to haunt him. Well, maybe we could take uh, bits and pieces from urban legend. Uh, oh, where he appears right. as a college professor. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we talked about this yesterday, though. Also, the, the idea that they were going to originally approach Johnny Depp for the yeah. movie, and they got too timid to do it. But then later on, we found out that Johnny Depp would would have, in fact, done it. Now, it's easy to say that after the fact, too. Yeah. But had had they, or you know, especially Justin mentioned this yesterday with his career the way it is right now, <laughs> asking him to do a movie like this and having him come back and it would be a sequel to this. But now it's instead he of be- Heather, it's it's. You know, John's oh yeah, character. he could be this like tragic figure too. He would ha- play, have to play himself as like you know really burned out. Like mm-hmm. you smuggled dogs, you beat your girlfriend. Like you know, it's the whole thing. These are all things that happen. He's like a total yeah, why now. You have to totally yeah, yeah. embrace it, and yeah. then you know just be reaching. And they're like, yeah, we're gonna do this like this crap sequel. But then it starts to turn. You know, I oh. would like to see them ask him to be Freddy yeah. and then have Robert England like haunting his dreams. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and then be, like this whole weird. Yeah. The young, the young, handsome actor has become the monster. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it oh, would be man. a whole commentary also on like, you know, you, you do these sequels, but you can't replace Robert England. <laughs> and that was how you get, that's how you get Bobby That's back. how you get, oh yeah, absolutely. He'd be, I, I'd love to do it. This is a, a wonderful screenplay written you by. Know, I, re- I wasn't going to do it, but then I read the screenplay and I thought, <laughs> yes. You know, you know, it'd be really cool though, if you got Depp, you have like a scene, Depp's in the study, he's working in the study on the, on the shelf is his hand from Edward Scissorhands. And he uses that <laughs> against Freddy. Oh, yeah. I think, oh, oh you yeah. could Scissor absolutely fight. play with that. I really feel like Scissor that, fight, yeah. that yeah. would actually be a really... You'd, you'd walk that line of comedy and horror, but that's, to me, that's some of the best horror. I would love it. Is where they yeah. walk that line, like, perfectly. Yeah. And I think that that would be really fun because what else are you going to do with this franchise, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, we'll continue to talk about the franchise as we go, but... And There's then, like, maybe you can do anymore. Maybe you get like a cool scene where he's like with the Hollywood vampires, you know, and like they're oh, they're yeah. playing a gig. Oh, what a great! I'm telling you, embrace the, thing, embrace the whole thing. Embrace the whole thing. We gotta write this as a spec script, guys. Hey, yeah, I'm not letting this go. <laughs> guys, you know who's in Hollywood vampires? Alice Cooper. I know. He's Freddy's dad. Oh, there we yeah. Go. yeah. Hey, uh, we've been we've been talking a lot about musicians just now. Maybe oh, we yeah. should uh, head over to our next section. Oh, Carlos, lend me your ear. All right, look, out of all the Nightmare films, you know, Mac mentioned MTV Freddy. This is not MTV Freddy. In fact, this isn't even an MTV uh, Elm Street. There are hardly any songs uh, in this movie. In fact, there are none. The only, the closest really you get is uh, basically Chase singing Losing My Religion before he dies. True. Um, and which the film actually does credit uh, Bill Berry, Peter Buck, Mike Mills, and Michael Stipe, who would make up. REM. Um, but you do get some music from J. Peter Robinson, and it's a it's a very um it's an orchestral score, uh very akin to uh John Ottman's for Halloween H2O 20 years later. Uh, that was I scrapped. You know, we but, also mentioned that there's a yeah. lot of uh 
Horner cues in there. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is a guy that did The Believers, mm. which is pretty good. Uh, Return of the Living Dead 2, which I love. Cocktail, a Mike favorite. I love Cocktail. <laughs> Ooh, I hate Cocktail songs. Yeah, yeah, I know, you, but you love that song, though. <laughs> but can um, we all agree oh, yeah. that 1989's The Wizard is a great movie? He did The Wizard? He did The Wizard. Oh, I actually really like the score for that. It's, it's got a lot of very like Hans Zimmer cues in it. Um, he also did uh, the score to Wayne's World. Oh, really? Yeah. Which I I can't even remember the yeah. Oh, well, and I, I guess the orchestral uh, orchestral music from Wayne's World is when um when he's like splashing water on his face and crying, and they have like the faux Oscar music. Yeah. But other than that, I, I can't really remember any like incidental music or, or non incidental music. I feel like all I remember from Wayne's it's World. It's funny is because <laughs> sorry, Dan. Yeah, it's funny because he did Wayne's World and Encino Man. Yes. Um, <laughs> wow. And then he did some TV movie stuff, but then they were like, oh, we've got to get the guy that did the music for Wayne's World and Encino Man to do Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Now, here's the thing, though. He, he, I think he, he was kind of a new line guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's probably why they, they, they brought him in, but we got a guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a guy. We got Bring a guy. He's pretty good. And, uh, hey, he ain't Alice half bad. Cooper, <laughs> Alice Cooper in Wayne's, er, in Wayne's world too. So maybe they were like, Hey, Alice Cooper, Freddie's dad. He yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, chef Gordon, uh, who is uh, Cooper's manager managed, uh, you know, this guy as well. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say the music is particularly memorable in this movie, but, uh, it's definitely very present. I was mm-hmm. surprised at how present it is throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that horror stuff, and that that's what kills me. Is at the end. Yeah, there, there's aliens. a couple, and it's it's interesting. I kind of appreciate it because this isn't a nightmare movie, technically. Yeah, you no, know I what agree. I mean. So yeah. it's like it it deserved a bigger score. Uh, I don't know if this is. I mean, this is what we got, obviously, and I think it's fine. But it, it's not like. Well, there wasn't a moment where I was like, oh, I don't, this is awful. Would you all argue that? Cause I, I actually kind of enjoyed how the music was used because yeah. I sort of like how it takes a back seat because it's not a nightmare movie or I mean for a while it's not a nightmare movie and we, we don't hear the Freddy theme. We don't really hear the one, two Freddy's coming for you, all that stuff. And then there's a distinct moment where Nancy or where Heather finally decides to become Nancy at the end. And she, you know, she's John Saxon's wearing his old wardrobe. And so she, and then we hear the nightmare theme. And I thought that was a really savvy move like that. We, with that, they, he withheld it until, until she fully embraces the Nancy role again. Yeah. I don't know. I, that that kind of made me respect the score a lot. Well, it's fun that. too, because the only time you, the only other time you do hear hints of the score is like, uh, the oh, television, uh, appearance that she makes where England shows up. They have like that. And we said this, too, because they play it at the very end during the credits, like the very like Seinfeld-esque, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, but I, th- I think you hear it. I-, I think also you hear it when the movie is playing on her television at various moments. So yes, I, li- I like yes. having I did like that. Um, but I, I I don't think that the score contributed to the atmosphere, no. you know, earlier. I, I just felt like this needed what makes the original score great is that it's dreamy and it's haunting. And, you know, and, and this movie, when it is dreamy and haunting is really successful, but I think they could have really amped it up in spots with a good score that yeah. felt appropriate. It just needed, I don't know. It just needed more thoughtfulness, I guess, for me, um, which <laughs> for me, um, you guys, like you didn't give it enough thoughtfulness for me. Yeah. Guys, excuse me. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you a lot because I think also something that's missing in this movie that I think that they could have doubled down on. And again, they're, they're doing this now these days, but 
is the idea that as we're moving, that this movie starts off, no credits or anything like that. Yeah. You know, I feel like we should have had like zero score for yeah. a long time, or we only start hearing the score in dreams. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then as the movie continues to become, that line is blurred. And, you know, like you were saying, or, or like Dan, you mentioned that like John Saxon at the end. I think that's one of the most interesting things about the movie is when all of a sudden when she's at the hospital, and it's that scene where Julie punches the nurse out. Yeah. <laughs> it starts all of a sudden, like from that point on, when Heather starts to really believe in what's going on and fighting for her son and all this stuff, um, everything starts to get more heightened and becomes definitely way more of the actual movie. Yeah. And I feel like that's where the the tide kind of turns and then from then on out it's just like this total shit show you know like the whole you know like miko being you know <laughs> uh-huh. just like paraded Ooh, over children. the highway and stuff and like i just think i i really love that idea though because it seems silly but like when you're thinking about it you're like no the line's just it's blurred now like what is the movie and what yeah. is reality mm-hmm. and now it's like almost it's like crazy silly freddy stuff going on but it's still got this kind of like unnerving this unnervedness of it, you know. What would yeah. be, be interesting is if they really doubled down on the meta-ness of it. And they're like, you know, hey, look, Charles is sending over some, you know, <laughs> some clips. Uh, can, Heather, I mean, I, I don't usually do this with my uh, talent, but can you check out some of the, the sound cues, you know? And she just, like, starts listening to them in the house as, as it's happening. Like, they could just even double oh, down right. more. I, it was too new for them to get fully meta. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah um, using the Hansel and Gretel theme that goes on, too. I mean, really, we can talk about this more in, in the other segments. But, like, you know, if there's a moment when the kids enter the woods, you know, it's, like, earlier in the film when when... Freddie is starting to emerge, but the moment they get lost is that moment that Mac is just referring to where everything goes to shit and you're yeah. definitely fully in the dream. Yeah. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Um, no, but I, just, I mean, but no, it's I, true. But that's I, I when the score is the most the... memorable because you, it's right in your face. Well, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. And everything's being thrown at you at that point. And I, but I, I really love that about the film. I would have really liked like a goblin score. You know, like, oh, a, yeah, let's yeah. just put yeah. Goblin on everything. You can't go say. wrong. Like, you yeah. can't go wrong. Like, just get him in there. Just yeah. have him. Just, I would love to see Goblin go back and just rescore all these movies <laughs> that don't have good scores. She's like, I she's driving, that. she's awesome. dr- like, when she's driving up to like Wes's house, it's like, no, um, all right, yeah. Either way, I think this is out of all the the scores, um, probably the most like unmemorable one, and for you know, reasons that we've explained. But I can't say the same about the man himself. Do we call him Freddy Krueger or do we call him Robert England? I guess we'll have to decide in our next section. Okay, now, <laughs> this is Robert England's favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Why? Why? <laughs> because he gets to play himself! Yes. <laughs> I get it. You know, I gotta say, um, I, I really, I do love Freddy in this movie. Yeah. I think at the very end, it does get, a, it gets a little hammy again for mm-hmm. like a heartbeat, but I think there's a reason for that. But I do love the darker version of Freddy in this. I love that, I, I, I think... <laughs> the, the, some of the scenes that work best for me are actually the scenes with Robert Englund, like when yeah. he's when he's uh, you know signing all the autographs and yes. at the door, and then and he's such a like you know um, 
just such a movie star. He's it's, like, you know, if you need anything, like, you know, let me know. It's got like Heather, the West Wing you know. side, like walk and talk. Uh, that yeah, they have. I, and I love his entrance on the on the the TV show. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so funny, and it's so so him. And, and but I think the things that the some of the scariest parts of the movie are some of the moments with him. Like we were talking mm-hmm. about this earlier, just that sequence where. You know, he's when he's when he's doing the painting and you, you just, you know, he's kind of just like keeping it together. But then you realize like something's obviously up with him as well. Or or when they she calls him and he's yeah. like, you know, we're out of town. You know, the, like even Robert England, the, the man who played Freddie himself, like can't face Freddie. No. Like it's, it's just like disappears. Yeah. I wanted more of that. I wanted to see. I felt like, you know, they kind of left us with this sort of. Lovecraft Pikmin model thing mm-hmm. where he's painting Freddy and I just wanted to see like I would have I mean it feels like a missed opportunity to have uh, uh, I, I get for the themes of the film they had to keep it with Nancy Heather right, but like right. I would have loved to see a Freddy versus Robert you know kn- in a knife yeah. fight yeah. Like, that he would what, too <laughs> what's funny too because they, yeah, they don't really follow up on like okay why did you leave town was he was he part of the portal helping Freddy come in here was he just haunted yeah the, I kept waiting for that to be a payoff it was funny to see Wes Craven said in the commentary that um in real life, I think Robert England lives in like Orange County and like, and just has a very laid back household and is like really into <laughs> surfing and stuff. And he said he wanted to make he wanted to make um, his idea of what like the, yeah the movie star Robert England would have. So he had him in this like ridiculous mansion. That's actually that's funny that that was more Wes's idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said he said like no, he's like Robert Robert's house is actually very laid back and, and wow. full of light. And and so he he put him in this. Like, mansion and uh which is in south pasadena where they filmed halloween also uh, and they so filmed I, uh the original nightmare i believe yeah oh yeah. that's right no, no, i think you're right yeah and yeah. uh and, yeah so it's just fun. I, I i thought that was he said he was like kind of like poking fun at, Ro- at robert england but but would, yeah, i was ahead. joking when we were watching it yesterday just being like you know i imported these oils from milan and, um, <laughs> you know and have a baguette every, every like thing i've seen from robert england in that talk back we went to mike the mansion actually matches that. I'm like, yes. oh yeah, he wouldn't live in that. But apparently, he's he's very low key and laid back. But every time I've seen him talk, he's been he's been very um, uh, elegant and and very extravagant in talking well, about his adventures just... in the with the mafia don and the sheets of linen. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a Fraser is... Niles kind of oh, thing. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> totally. But I think that that's also probably to, you know when you think about it. You know, he's performing. Oh yeah, he's putting on a show for people. You know, he is a performer if nothing else. I wish that like there was a scene where, you know, Bob Shea calls him and is like, look, we got to bring you back. He's like, well, I'm actually doing some theater right now and I'm, uh, I'm going to be flying out to Prague in about a month and a half. And I'm going to be studying under the, uh, you know, the, the dictatorship of Bishop Priest. Um, um. No, but actually, to your point, Laura Lowe, I, I really do think that the, having more of a point of view from Robert would have been really cool. And they could have even done like some sort of Cronenbergian thing where like totally. his skin oh. starts like fucking peeling. Yes, yes and, like, I wanted that. And that would have been so awesome. That and, yeah. And yeah. And that. And that and I feel like that could have been its own movie. Yeah. If if they thought, okay, well, what, let's have Robert Angley break down. Like, I wanted to see that that scene from Nightmare Two where Freddy comes yeah. out of Robert. That would have been awesome. Yeah, because you know? like, that would spe- be crazy. I mean, speaking of Dark Freddy, I think the consummate Dark Freddy is Freddy Two, and yeah. I oh, mean, absolutely. I, I like the concept of Dark Freddy, but. <laughs> I have issues with with this portrayal of it. And again, it was the 90s. I'm going to blame all the things yeah. I don't like on yeah. it being the 90s. But the um, the makeup had like it sort of is. a 
what was that, Dan? The leather pants. Or- yes, yeah, le- leather pants. Um, so and I, funny, the, yeah. the the makeup had sort of a Michael Westmore Star Trek like Cardassian feel to me. Like it had that sort of static mask, and you know he he wasn't oozing. He wasn't, and then his whole outfit was like sleek. It was like he went through the the like queer eye makeover uh-huh. where they were like Freddie, you can be you, but like elevated, and like so they gave him like the unburned sweater <laughs> and the coat and like a clean hat. He was so clean, and I'm like, what? Uh-huh. How is this? And dark yeah i mean yeah he, he john depp came over and, and taught him how to dress and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah so that that really was taking me out of it a little bit um but again it funny. was the 90s but no that's that's uh, that's that is really interesting to me because i agree with everything you're saying right now and like watching yesterday i was like oh yeah he's he's almost like so stylistically done like his hat is green is like an olive green and mm-hmm. you know, it's not like the dirty it's, and the, he's not dirty at all. He's like very, very clean. He's very, um, but we were all talking about this too, or Justin was saying, um, I'm just gonna keep quoting Justin, <laughs> but he had some, he has some good points. It was just like this, this is this evil that has decided to take on the persona of Freddie, but, but at, 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 at its own leisure, like, like I want to be Freddie, but it doesn't have to be like this burnt out thing. But, but yeah, it's funny because I never noticed that he had leather pants until yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's and I've so seen this funny. movie a billion times. I, I just I just never really noticed that, or just I just didn't pick up on it. Also, the interior of the coat is red and green stripes as well. Oh, I didn't see that. that. That's cool. That's cool. That's um, kind of. I mean, I want that outfit. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I was like, no, I was thinking <laughs> that too. I was like, I was like, oh man, this is a great costume. Like, it's it is so much more stylized, but it's like it's really cool. Did uh, did you all know? I didn't notice this until until watching the comment with commentary when um they're reading the Hansel and Gretel book. The witch has red and green stockings. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, yes. I didn't notice oh, that. Oh, I didn't notice. Cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And, and claws. Well, here here's a question for y'all. And this isn't. I don't fault Robert Englund for this. I really I really like what he does character wise with Freddy. But because we establish in this that okay, well he's this eternal malevolent presence where Freddy kind of contains him. I almost wanted him in, in the end to be more different than Freddy. Yeah. Like it was weird because he kind of goes back into Freddy mode, which I, I understand that that's one way to do it. But I, I, I almost was left wondering, well, what if, what if he's silent the entire time? Exactly. Know? Well, like, that's I, what I was saying too. Like, like, I kind of like a differentiated version. Like I wanted mm-hmm. them to go yeah. further. Like, no, this is this force that isn't Freddy. just kind of using Freddy. I mean, it, it doesn't really bother me that much, but I just kept wondering if we could have gone like a little bit different. Yeah. No, I a hundred percent agree, Dan. I mean, like honestly that, that hotels or the hotel, the hospital sequence really you know he's basically kind of recreating tina's death when he's not talking those images are so scary like just seeing him standing upside down when he rises behind yeah is a really good moment and it's so his eyes say everything so that's all you really needed and i honestly think it would have been a far more terrifying film if he just didn't open his fucking mouth yeah and well yeah and then it's that would have been i know i know well he could have talked plenty as himself if if they'd had that freddie versus versus uh, robert fight he could have been doing all the one-liners while freddie because i mean they had this running theme with like snakes too and then he sort Mm -hmm. of transformed forms at the end you know we can save that for some of the the nightmares discussion but um like i like the idea that he would have been this primal entity like this snake you know which also has all these demonic implications i think that they just again it speaks to the concept being so good that it brings out all these things in your imagination but uh, you know, it's it just, it is, it's like, you want to like, I wish we could just do it, do one more take, you know, where we just refine a few of the things because then it could be such a great movie. Like yeah. it just gets me really excited thinking about all the possibilities with it. Yeah. I'm sure there's like a super cut out there where you just cut some of his dialogue, you know, and just have him yeah. Julie up the wall or whatever, you know what I mean? Well, like, yeah. But I, and once I, again, it is that, it is that thing where it's like, it's, it's 1994 and it's, yeah, it's hard to forget how avant-garde it really was. And it's like, 
you can only go so far with it, right? Like it's still a major motion picture. Like right. you're not going to let them go like so crazy with it, but yeah. Right. And such a huge part of Freddy is that kind of talky dialogue and stuff. And, and honestly, for, for what's in there, it's pretty muted for the most part. It is. No, like it it's is. in there, but it's not like really over the top. It's just like a couple lines here and there, like the skin, the cat thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think what, I think what, I think what still works about that stuff is that, a few of those are, are lines delivered to little Miko Hughes. Yeah. And it's like, yes. he's right there in the room. Like how terrifying is a little boy to see this happening and to have him talking to you like that and saying these like awful things. Like, I think that's still as silly as it might seem to us. It's still because he's saying it to a little boy. And, and, and this is also something that they were able to do is like, you know, this is like the whole Jacob thing that they had to abandon. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like now we we're, we're having, we actually get to have that dynamic again with like him, like kind of terrorizing this little boy. Yeah. And that, that is yeah. creepy. It's a reminder hell. that he was a child murderer. Like yes. this was his thing. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, mean, just that, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, just that, that scene where he, uh, Heather gets the phone call and he says, I, I touched him. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, and I, and that you're was thinking one of the, in like, your head, you're like, Oh, like he, he's getting to him. But then you're also like, I, I didn't even pick up on that. And they didn't, Justin mentioned it like, like, no, it's like harkening back to the fact that he's, he's like a child molester. Yeah. And I was like, Oh God, that's even more sick and disgusting. Yeah. And I mean the psychosexual stuff with, with Freddie and, you know, they, they point this out also in the, the never sleep again, but like, you know, when they're, when he's battling with Nancy, there's, you know, the sins are written on the wall and he's yeah. hitting her against a thing that says lust, you know? And I, I like all that, you know, I mean, I, when I say I like it, I don't, <laughs> I don't like it, but you know, I mean, yeah, I enjoy yeah. the, the creepiness of that. Cause I think that's one of the things that sets Freddie apart as a, uh, as a villain for me is just the the sort of psychosexual bizarro nature of him. Um, and also in that documentary too, they talked about uh, Miko, like they said, Oh, his parents have a way of making him cry. And uh, you know, don't worry. We, we whispered in his ear, um, your mom is dead. And that we, that gets him to cry. And I was like, you know, and then they like cut to like Miko t- as an adult talking like, you know, I think it's totally fine for child actors to be in horror. You know, it's, it doesn't mess you up. And I'm like, uh, what? And like <laughs> yeah, the camera keeps the camera keeps getting further and further back. And you realize it's a straight jacket. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't see the problem. They <laughs> 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 just like put a mic up. Oh, uh, like, uh, your, your, your time with you got five more minutes. Five, five more, more minutes with Miko. Five more minutes with Miko. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I, my. my my biggest things is just yeah like i think they're about 60 percent there with this um with this vision of him i really wanted him wet um yeah, I mean, he's gotta if, be wet yeah and if like honestly if he's they lost even in the last movie yeah like he just looks like he has a rubber mask on mm-hmm. like he reminds me of um the villain in uh power rangers uh lord zed there were, yeah. I kept yeah. thinking of Power Rangers while watching this and i don't know if it was some of those 90s like cgi effects that you know again like they had a new technology that they got to play with but all i can think now is power rangers because well, it was around that time I mean, power mm-hmm. rangers got big around 94 95 so you know hey i uh, i love uh the power rangers but you know and i, and I still love this movie I, I just wish that yeah like right here we were talking i mean we kind of hinted at it before but like i do feel like this film pulls its punches and i feel like they they ultimately by the third act when freddie is supposed to emerge and it's just to be this sort of like um omnipotent like creature um that you know is just fucking unstoppable i i don't really feel it as much like as i do in like the first 
you know, three acts of this film, because I feel like tonally it goes all over the place. Cause you, you, you basically have yeah. that final act that Craven loves to do where he leans more on action than, than the actual horror and suspense. And like, I feel that that sort of tone that he builds up towards this whole movie where he was lingering in the shadows and, you know, he emerges, you know, every once in a while, like, like when he appears at Chase's funeral, it's fucking terrifying. Like, and it's great because you only see little glimpses of him and he comes in and yeah. he comes out and, and that's so great. But then ultimately like, he just pulls down the curtain and you're just like, fuck. Like one he, it's the less he, is more thing. Yeah. I, I always. You know, the first he also does it a little thing. bit early on. Like, I think my biggest gripe with the movie is like, it just over explains itself. Like, like the perfect example, I would love it if the first time we really got any confirmation of Freddie would, was at the funeral. And in yeah. a way we still don't, cause it's kind of a nightmare. Like for instance, when, um, when the husband gets killed, I hate that we see Freddie's glove coming up from the, the seat and that like it confirms that, oh yeah, okay, there's something going on here. You know, I, I would love it if he just drove home and we find out that there's a car wreck and the glove happened to be in the car with him and it's sort of ambiguous, you know? Yeah. But the, Wes Craven, he, I don't know, he does away with like all ambiguity so hard in that fourth act and I think that it, um, yeah, yeah, the movie loses some of its steam a little bit for me. Well, also too, I don't, I think I don't think it helps that like I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of how the dream world looks in the end like with the CGI oh, me either. and all that no. I can't yeah, yeah no I, was, I, can't, I can't thinking of a it's of South Park bigger longer and uncut whenever yes. they show hell <laughs> they show a pterodactyl go by and fart a fireball like that's what I kept thinking when I, when I saw the totally but, yeah and I I agree with you Dan I think there's the ambiguity should have been they should have doubled down on that and the yeah especially the, half, the first half of the movie again I think a really interesting thing thing would have been. Is Heather, is she really seeing these things? Is it really Freddy or is she exactly. so disturbed by yeah. the stalker that she's starting to lose it? But then we find, then we realize though that no, Freddy is coming through. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's a bit, and then that's like Believe the beginning women. of the third act, you know? Sorry. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and they kind of lean on that anyway. With yeah, this. no, they do. And I think those are themes that are actually like totally fair to bring up in a franchise, like a female led with like a male, you know, stalker slash dream monster. Um, what was I going to say? I had another thought. Balls, it's gone. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think also what what kind of, you know, hurts this as well is that, I don't know, never actually, wait one second. You know, I, I don't think I'm I'm ever going to be able to revisit this without thinking about this, like, Cronenberg Freddy now. Because I, I want it so bad. Like, imagine mm-hmm. if, like, like, Robert came to the hospital to see what's going on, even though he's, like, having these, like, issues, uh, uh, like, w- you know, with his skin or, like, with his own, like, dreams. And Freddy emerged out of him just like in Nightmare 2 there at the hospital and how grueling that would be. And, like, that was the way that people, you know, and the nurses know what's going on at the time. Because, I mean, they literally see you know, the babysitter being flung in the air. So right. clearly everyone is in like, they, they're with it by the end because the whole dream world is actually taking over. Yeah. Um, but fuck. Yeah. I, like I, now I'm never going to get that idea out of my head is this idea of it, of England actually being in it more. That's what I'm saying. There were just a handful of missed opportunities that are going to kill me for like the rest of my days. Cause I'm a huge <laughs> nerd and I'm just going to cry. Let's just yeah. go back and reshoot this. Yeah. We got it. We'll just, <laughs> I've got, no, no, no. I've got a DSLR. Yeah. We can knock oh, this that's out. Very that's true. true. That's, that's true. very true. Well, do we want to keep talking about uh, the Dream Demon? I think we're going to keep talking about it as we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, how about we talk about the children, or, or shall I say, the, the stars of Hollywood, uh, in a section we like to call... You are all my children now. Do we start at the top? I don't know. Where do you want to start here? I mean, top billing? <laughs> I think we start at the top and move down because there's there aren't a whole lot of other characters. No, and yeah. I mean, 
let's just talk about her, her the the heroine of these films herself, Heather, Heather Langham, Langham, aka Nancy. Nancy. I think uh, this is the strongest performance. Um, one of the more stronger performances of the entire series, actually. I think she's really good in this film. Yeah. Um, I think that um, the the grief that she she deals with in a lot of scenes. I mean, like think about all the stuff that happens to her in this movie. <laughs> I mean, she loses you know she loses her husband. Um, she's you know dealing. Her child. She's losing her child. You can tell that there's something going on with her career in the beginning because she, she even says to the limo driver, she's like, "I'm not a star," um, and all. So like, there's a lot of like chaos in her life and. Um, I felt like like Langenkamp actually like wears it well in this movie and in the wear and tear that she has. Like I really believe her arc by the end, and well, I and believe it, that she gets the gray hair at the end of this too. And it's it's tap and like we said earlier, it's tapping into the reality of the situation. Wes using the real stalker situation and her being able to tap into that as well, I think, is huge uh, because it's it's not she doesn't have to do much to sell no. those scenes because that's something she's actually had to deal with. Yeah, and can tap into that like. Just easily. Mm-hmm. Even even the moment when Robert England is signing all the autographs and she's just kind of like leaning against the wall waiting, like clearly he gets all the attention yeah, and, and right. she doesn't. So, I mean, it, yeah, again, it was would be both extremely hard for her and not hard for her to play this role, which is speaks to its duality again, because, you know, she has this sort of her life, but it's sort of not. And I, I don't know. I was just thinking about like if I was in her situation, I think I would just freak out halfway through filming this thing like ah i i don't i i, I can't imagine so i think considering all of that she did a really really great job yeah. especially seeing her evolve from first film to the third film to this film yeah yeah i would ask to be baker acted if i was her um in this situation you know like mm. you know oh you're you're taking my kid all right well take me also <laughs> i want to go in one of those little oxygen tent things right um damn what craven's even he's yeah he's even said that he felt like he, he really likes dream warriors but he felt like she's kind of stiff in that but both both from the performance but also because she just wasn't given as much to do no and um and i think there's a very conscious effort in this movie to like give her a wide range of things to try and he, he was saying she was even surprised by her own performance in this like she was like oh wow actually like like i mean because it really is a, it's a meaty role for yeah. at least for a nightmare movie um yeah i think she knocks it out of the park like and you don't yeah i know there's some moments that we, we talked about a little bit with the first movie and I, I just still think she's really good in the first movie but she's younger and so i think there's some moments where she leans into just being really frantic in the first movie where in this i feel like there's this kind of groundedness to her that comes with age and being a parent and uh yeah i, th- I think she's awesome in this it's like I think my favorite nightmare performance throughout the series. Yeah. And I, and I do love that too, because I feel like once again, as this becomes more of a movie towards the end, that franticness does come back at the hospital. Yes. And stuff. I really like that. I really just, it, and I don't even know if that was on purpose, but it just starts to kind of turn at the hospital. Yeah. Um, she and she plays says, screw your pass, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like, it's funny because we were joking around about that, but like for me, that actually really worked. And yeah. I, like, it gives me chills because it's, it's almost brushed. It's almost brushed aside. Yeah. And it's, it's, and again, it's right where everything starts to, to really double down. And then, you know, right into the, the first, the, his, you know, his first big kill in the real world is yeah. Julie. Yeah. And it's the Tina kill, which mm-hmm. is the first kill. And she the has Street, to kind of you know? like, contend with in the movies. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, look, looking back at all the different performances, you know, over the years, cause this is pretty much like the last of like the original canon until we get to the, obviously like Freddie versus Jason, um, but I, I, yeah, this is, it's such an adult role, you know, and this is such an adult film and, and I'll be talking about that a little bit later on, especially when we give our, uh, final thoughts in hypnosil. But 
I, I really do think, feel that she grew with this, this franchise in the same way that the franchise grew with itself. I mean, like one of the things I love about this film is that it's still a sequel aimed at its core audience, except the core audience is now 10 years older. And she is that way also. I mean, she's dealing with some incredibly mature themes and her mature performances, you know, speaks to that. And I, and I think that you get that in these, she, what, what's great is that, you know, we talked about how like nightmare three, she doesn't really get, uh, you know, afforded that much material mm-hmm. in this. She's given like scenes that like no heroin today is even given. Like even, even Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't given the sort of like tranquility and, and, and more meditative scenes that she gets here. I mean, like the sequences, like where she's like on the playground with John Saxon, like just talking about, you know, her family past or, you know, the scenes where she's getting to talk to, um, you know, like Wes or, you know, like, uh, Robert England when they're behind the scenes like these are like really core character building sequences that I feel like Craven's fucking great at um and he's really good at doing um and so like for me like the drama and 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 the 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 sort of trauma that comes from that drama um really speaks to me in this movie in ways that the horror you know maybe doesn't towards the end and I think that yes. she's largely a part of that for mm-hmm. sure I agree. So, I mean, do we want to keep talking about her or do you want to go? I think there's going to be no way we don't continue to talk about yeah. her as we go through the uh, as well. I, Did you have something? I say we, uh, we give a green, a green fedora hat tip to, to Heather Langen. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, speaking of the fedora, what do we think about England himself? I mean, we just talked about Freddie. But, you know, he's a England's a character here. I mean, do we want to skip him? I and mean, we did kind of talk about uh, I mean, him. A bunch. We could talk really briefly. I, I, I think he's really perfect in, in it because yeah. he doesn't. It's it's such a it's such a role in this movie. Like, obviously, we would have loved to see him bigger and better and more of like the actual thing in this film. But I I do think that for the little the, for the few scenes he's in, he's not like trying to like eat up the scenery. You know what I mean? He's just, he's in it and he yeah. does his part and, and we're, we're off to the next scene. Do you know what I mean? It's not like he, he's really vying for yeah. anything. And I think it really enhances. Um, I just think it enhances the story. I think he does a really good muted job. Something that I don't, don't think that he ever really does. No. You know, would have been cool if we had like a, a, a great um, scene with him and Bob Shea. And he's just like, look, you know, Bob, you've been fucked in me on my contract for like six <laughs> fucking years. I need him. I need the money. I need that money. Uh, um, need no, that money, Tom. Uh, let, let's let's talk about Dylan Porter. Um, you know, which is a good old. That's Heather's kid, uh, Nico, you know, Nico Hughes. Hughes. We yeah. we know him from our uh, King's Dominion. He was in Pet Cemetery, and I want to say that there's a nod to Pet Cemetery here, given the the you know huge trucks that drive by him. Oh, oh yeah, I guess he is on the highway yet again. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's got some of the, some of the best creepy lines in the movie. Oh yeah, I mean that that whole sequence at the playground. Oh, and when he says that God wouldn't take me. Oof. Yeah, that's my Creepy. favorite favorite scene with him. They put a lot on his shoulders in yeah. this movie, and I don't know that it completely pays off um, for me just because it's a lot to ask a kid to do. And he's, I mean, we were talking about this, like he's screaming, and then mm-hmm. he's doing a monster voice, then he's screaming. Then he'd, I mean, he has like three, he's got his creepy kid mode. He's got just literal screaming. And then he's got like Freddy's possessing me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't really en- en- enjoy it per se. Uh... <laughs> oh man, I, I think Miko Hughes is so good. I, I I don't know. I, I mean, I guess he does fall into just oh creepy kid thing a lot. But uh, 
I don't know. I really, I really dug him. I, I maybe it's just because I have affection for him from Kindergarten Cop and Full House and Pet Cemetery. But I, I thought he, I thought he delivered. Well, yeah, in this movie. I, I like. I mean, I like him a lot. Don't get me wrong, and all those things too. I, those were all like movies I grew up on, and that's why. I mean, maybe I was just expecting too much of this child. Uh, <laughs> but I just the character was just rubbing me the wrong way at certain points, and I, I, I don't know. It, again, I'm coming from the perspective of now, not 1994, and it, maybe I'm just old and cynical. Hmm. No, I. Do, do you, so for you, is it is it more is it Dylan as a character or his performance, or kind of both? That, I, I mean, doing? kind of both. I don't really know what else you would do with a character of mm-hmm. like a child at that age who's being haunted by a monster. But I don't know. It's just like I, I just found myself wincing during a lot of his deliveries. And like, you know, like instead of like finding it effective, I did find certain moments effective, like the playground scene I thought was great. You know, yeah, I just yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just I just don't like kids. And no, movies. I, 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 I feel like aloof, yeah. <laughs> just don't like kids. Yeah. There are little things that I feel like they just did to be scary. Like when like, you know, she turns off the TV and he just like randomly screams like, yeah, it's like little things that like, you you know, like, all right, well, we need to have be jarring here. So just like do this. And mm-hmm. and I would blame that more on just like the conception of Dylan, the character, because you kind of have to be like, well, this is going to be a gradual climb of how crazy he's going to get towards the end here. So let's do some sort of slight interjections here and here where you're supposed to be like, whoa, this kid's fucking crazy. But, but that's like, also it's also strange because they don't really make him go crazy at the end. If anything, he becomes more level headed and yeah. like. You know, well, I mean, like, like before he even mother. gets to the hospital, though, like where he's like, you know, wearing the fucking finger knives at that but point, you know, but that's a, that's a dream. But that's still he like you know? he still has to do that before. You know, well, that yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 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 if you guys are listening to We Hate Movies, they they do. I think they do an episode on Spawn or something Nico Hughes is in or maybe it's Pet Cemetery. I can't remember. But they, uh-huh. they talk about how like his kind of go-to thing that he was really good at in all these movies is just sort of flipping out and going like, ah, like, like, and they just like hissing, you know, and they do, they do, they have this like sound effect they do for him. That's really funny. And he, he is sort of, he is sort of good at just like wigging out like on cue, you know, like, like spitting up stuff and, and hissing and just being a, being a little shit. Um, Sammy points out that when they're in the boiler in the end, he almost just like puts his head in Freddie's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, look, if you're going to get a child actor in the early 90s, they went for the MVP, though. I mean, Miko Hughes is pretty much like, I mean, who are they going to get? Like Macaulay they, Culkin. They could have got Macaulay. Oh, I guess that's actually, what am I talking oh, about? Man. But could you imagine Macaulay Culkin's in this movie? He just every time he screams, he puts his hands on his cheeks. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah also, it I think pulled me right out of my movie. I think this is like the year of Richie Rich, also. So that would have been really odd. Like, he's like still acting or anything, or, or not really. Who, Miko Hughes? Yeah, he's a DJ. Oh yes. Hey, I read. I tried to find these because I thought this is hilarious. I read it. Apparently, he put out two albums when he was nine of saw of like scary songs he wrote, and one of the albums is called. It's just called Halloween Haunts, but I couldn't find it like anywhere. Um, but I really wanted to hear it. What songs written by a nine-year-old Miko Hughes were like? That's kind of adorable. I like him a lot more after hearing that. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to seek that out. It's kind of crazy how many movies he was in. I mean, he's in Apollo 13. He's in Full House. I'm surprised that we haven't mentioned that yet. Um, Um, Oh, he mentioned. Dan mentioned the second. Oh, I I mentioned him already. Um, as the the uh, the likable bully Aaron. Well, he's not really a bully. He's more of just like a. The little creep kind of in, in Full House. And he, and he, well, and he also starred in Steve Guttenberg's last movie uh, to ever hit theaters, uh, Zeus and Roxanne. So, um, yeah. <laughs> is that the dolphin movie? Like the yes, dog and the dolphin? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's, right, well, he's doing pretty good. Um, although it's weird that he's in Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place, considering that it takes place in the same universe. I wonder if it's the same role. 
Um, it's uh, it's not. And uh, he's playing young Chucky uh, in Beverly Hills 90210, and he also plays David Patterson in Melrose Place. So yeah, that uh, maybe that's a little Kevin so, Smithy. Someone else I feel like we would have found in Melrose Place is uh, his father. In yeah. Chase. Chase. Yeah, cut has, cut has, to the chase. What do you think about cut to the chase? Chase. Uh, Lane Camp. What, what's it? No, Porter. Chase, Chase Porter. Porter. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you guys? What do you, how do you like his performance in this film? I think he's great. I, I do think that he's very hunky, and I love the fact that in the Never Sleep documentary, he talks about how like I don't look anything like an effects guy. These all the guys are like yeah, blue collar yeah. guys that have like lived through like a really like rough like productions and have like this like metal aesthetic. And he's like, I'm just like this pretty boy that comes in, and and it's true though. I mean, he's like such mm-hmm. a good-looking yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, I I found that all like maybe a little distracting because at first, like when the movie first starts up, you're like, oh, she's married to another handsome actor, and then it's like, no, 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 wait, he's supposed to be. It's supposed to be her actual life because she really is married to an FX guy who looks nothing like this actor. <laughs> um, I mean, I think he puts in a, a passable performance. Also, I mean, he's not. He doesn't have a lot to do. I guess. He yeah. yeah, he's just kind of like on the phone, and then he's driving. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's wearing a Fangoria shirt. He loves that. So. Yeah, you think, I, feel, I feel like the Nightmare movies do that a lot. They always have these sort of affable, generically hunky dudes who are like even Johnny Depp, really, in the first one. I mean, and yeah. they're um, they're fine. Like, there's nothing bad about the performance, but as as characters, they're just kind of like whatever. Like, I mean, they're there to be to be uh, be butchered, I guess, which is kind of cool for a horror movie. But yeah, hey, look, I feel like he's in that vein. Mac has great intuition because guess what. He was in Melrose Place. Was he really? Uh, <laughs> oh man! Uh, oh my god! He looks like he just looks like one of the guys that would have been uh, living that living there. I, I, life. I will say, I, if, as you know, as far as horror franchises go, I'm glad in this series that it's the men that are just there to get killed off and be mm-hmm. and be yeah. generically good looking. You know, it's usually uh, the other way around. Oh, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I would say the, the women in I feel like Nightmare is. I feel like most of the interesting characters are women in this series. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, like, like the dudes are all kind of, yeah, they're kind of cannon fodder. Um, I, d- I do love that opening sequence, too. I actually think it's really freaky with the glove. Um, yeah. The, the, the glove, like, going back and forth. Uh, what, I, what I always forget is that opening sequence is actually, like, quote-unquote canon to the kills. I mean, because the two special effects guys die in that. Right. And they actually, and they yeah, find them in a Matt, field. Matt Winston. They find oh, them. Those, those, a couple of character actors that show up in a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah. So they and, say later on that those guys called in sick for work, right? And that yeah. Were, and that he cut, he cut his fingers like from the earthquake, but he didn't. And, you know. Oh, so it is. Yeah. yeah. And was, was when she's hearing, because doesn't she hear a news report that says they're found dead in a field, but was that yeah. supposed to be a dream or was that real? You know? Yeah, I think, well, uh, at that point, you don't know. Yeah. 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 Oh what, did, boy! Um, I briefly mentioned to you guys. Did did anyone else notice that there are several people drinking Barks root beer in that opening effect scene? Like West yeah, Craven, you uh, of, you really hung up on this Barks root beer. It was just funny. Product placement over here. Product placement, but it was just a very funny product. Like like several people, like Heather Lancaster. Like they, like I feel like it's like the craft services drink on that uh, on that film set. Also, you think it was like a GOT situation, like they just forgot to take the bars off. The- <laughs> yeah, yeah, crap. Like, do you guys think that? Uh, also, too, do you think he's singing REM when he gets killed because rapid eye movement like has to do with deal with uh, sleeping? Like, you know there. what? That makes Deep perfect cut. sense. That's the yeah. only song that is like credited in the credits. Yeah. There. And we were yeah. asking that we were like, why, why REM is losing my religion? Because you know that movie, that song, what you know, came out earlier. It makes total Experience sense that that's that. probably why. Yeah, well, that's actually a good point. Yeah. I I thought it was. I mean, I like the REM REM uh, explanation way better. But you know, um, 
God won't take me is another line in there. And I think oh, that yeah, like yeah. Wes Craven is really interested in ideas of faith and then losing faith in oh, Freddie as yeah. like a God. And so uh, that's why I thought that was chosen, but I far prefer Dan's explanation. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's probably a little bit of both for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, cause Craven's an academic, so scratches his, his crotch. Like, I don't know why that looked silly to me. I, I don't know. The, 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 you know, the, the claw like scratches his crotch. Right before well, he, he, he corrects himself. Cause he, he said, that's not even him. Kind of in the never sleep documentary. He, he's like, well, you know, this is how I scratch my crotch. And he like, then he scratches thing. his and they show it? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Man, I got to watch this documentary. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, he's, he's, he's a good looking guy. He made his film debut with this. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Well, didn't really go very far with the films. Uh, his last film was a uh, 2005's kiss, kiss, bang, bang, which I love, but, oh, um, interesting, you know, so that's good. Well, we're going to move on to uh, let's chase over to somewhere to, else to Tracy Middendorf, who plays Julie in yeah. the film. Yeah, who right out the gate I think is extremely likable. You know, I feel like these characters are always kind of like someone that is just like cannon fodder or like a really hot girl or something like you were saying, Laura. Like it's there's someone someone that's going to be killed that in like a sexy way or something before they get killed. <laughs> but she, sexy. She's kill just, me in a sexy she's way. Just like you know, like. <laughs> live-in nanny assistant friend babysitter i don't know what do they really explain who she is exactly well, i know it's weird all right so on the commentary west Craven said originally the role was going to be that she was kind of this cipher or this minion of freddie and that she was actually going to be helping him out and i i don't get this at all from the movie but he said they left a little bit of that in there because you, you weren't supposed to trust her right away and you're like you're unsure of her, but I don't get that at all. She's yeah. very likable, I think. And, and yeah. he says, like, in the commentary where you first see her, he's like, oh, she has a great performance because she's, like, a little bit shady. Like, look at that face. Like, I, I wouldn't buy a used car from her. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I, <laughs> I, think, that, like, you know, I, I think he he thinks that's in the movie. I'm like, no, she seems pretty likable, like, right off the bat, you know? Well, my, but, that, yeah. with, with that, I feel like it's possible her as a, as a human being, like, the person that they know and casted, that she is no 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 that that she is she, she's very different from what she portrays in the movie and in the movie we're just thinking everybody's playing themselves so we just we take that as okay this is who this person is but maybe she maybe from her real everyday personality that is an affected kind of person she's putting on so to them it does seem kind of fake and not real do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i but, think it's uh that that he had an issue with blondes yeah <laughs> he he's had like, a, he's like, Look at that! Look at that hussy! That untrustworthy. <laughs> uh, a blonde once sold me a used car, and it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tina was blonde. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, oh, that's true too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I do. I I like her in this movie. I think she's good. I like her the use of her. I think that in the beginning, um, I, I I just like when she shows up because, um. Gosh, I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I I, I just appreciate this character. Yeah, because I, I it's like the in all the other movies when you have these other teen kids or whatever it is, they've always got to be like an like a specific archetype and she's of a teen, though. or they're just like even in Freddy's Dead, like you you don't like any of these fucking characters, no. mm-hmm. and and they try to sell you on them immediately. And she's just like she comes in, you know who she is, but she, again, they're not like giving they're not they don't give these these side characters like a lot of meat because you're not supposed to it's supposed no. to feel real but she also has a lot of agency she does that really well yeah she does you know she's like i'll take I'll, I'll take care of the cops you know you know i'll call the cops what were the calls you know oh dylan's doing this you know X, you feel y, like there's a real yeah. relationship yeah there. She, exactly she kind of grounds uh Heather, oh my God, yeah. I was about to call her Nancy. Yeah, I got, oh, well, mine's huh? being blurred oh, here at no. the office. Um, but yeah, I, I I like that they have this like strong sort of friendship. Like she's her nanny, but they've also you know, and she's kind of like 
believing Heather a little mm-hmm. bit. You can tell yeah. like she's like, you know, when she goes to the hospital and stuff, like she hasn't had these experiences herself, but she can instinctively she trusts in, Heather. Also in, insanely expression, like her, her so many expressions on her face. I yeah. felt like she's like she like her eyes and like she's just very expressive. Um, well, I don't also, know why I couldn't get that word did, out before, but did I hear this wrong or were we talking yesterday about that? She was originally supposed to be the stalker. Yeah, that's what we were saying. Yeah. 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 And that she what, was like being possessed by Freddie to do these things. Oh, and then, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That would have been and that, somebody. That's, that's a bit. That, obviously just instead of be like Sartain. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. It would have just been over the top. Uh, Sorry, Dan. Yeah. But, uh, I love Sartain too. And if, honestly, <laughs> if he's done in Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, like, oh God, fuck that's that a whole nother thing. You want it? You want what's crazy? This actress, uh, Tracy Minendorf, she's appeared in pretty much like every fucking television show of all time. I'm not even joking. Like Beverly Hills, Days of Our Lives, Murder, She Wrote, Deep Space Nine, Touched by an Angel, um, Millennium, uh, The X-Files, Ally McBeal, like Six Feet Under, 24, Alias, CSI, House, uh, Lost. She was in Bones favorite david boreanaz uh boardwalk empire the mentalist with uh, uh oh, patricia man. arquette my boy um no 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 isn't that isn't she in the mental oh no no mentalist is something different right yeah, yeah, yeah. that's okay. a dude um yeah that's a guy um from land of the dead right yeah, yeah okay yeah. okay i love that guy he's really good looking um she's also in bloodline so she's everywhere um for the most part and well that's great you know great for her you good know job. but yeah so if you've seen her or you think that you recognize her that's probably why. Yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, uh, so what do we want to go to next? I think we should roll down to John Saxon. Oh, yeah, me too. Yes. Ooh. Who? Ageless John Saxon. He looks yeah. like exactly, he looks the, exactly same. the same. Seriously. It's funny because you can see how other people have like everyone else has aged a little bit, but he looks like you could have just lifted him out of the original film. Um, yeah. I love him in this movie. I think I he's too. one of the, he's so the most important, you know, besides Heather, most important people in there to sort of ground it. And, um, uh, okay, I just got distracted by my notes, which were like three lines of how he looks exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it just he has a, so much gravitas. Like he during that playground scene, um, yeah. just it's a really brief thing, but it really adds, and you kind of get the sense of their friendship. And he's kind of like a mentor figure to her. And um, and then I love the transition that happens when he goes from being John to L- Lieutenant Daddy, as I Me call too. him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Daddy. Loves, That's loves all. That scene. Yeah, though. but I mean, like, it's perfect because that transition is so subtle, yet he completely changes. And it just speaks to what a great here, actor here, he is. Here's a little note that I got uh, that that still irks me. The badge shouldn't have said it, Los Angeles. It should have said Springwood. Oh, Springwood, you're right. Ohio, yeah. That is annoying. Although, uh, Wes Craven said so. Those the clothes that they're wearing in that scene, he he kept like a whole box of uh, uh, of the wardrobe from the original Nightmare on Elm Street just in his garage. And so what John Saxon and uh, Heather Langkamp are wearing are are like their actual outfits. From oh, them. that's cool. And yeah. Then, and then also when Freddie is on the talk show, that's also his original Freddie outfit. Although Wes Craven, this is like sort of mean, and because I, I think they all like have aged very well. But on the commentary, Wes Craven's like, you know, it's the original clothes. And, um, you know, it was an interesting test to see who had gained a few pounds. But yeah, <laughs> like, oh, wow. Oh, master four. Yeah. Master, it's a little, yeah, little, master, master body shaming. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah. to what you're saying, I love that. I do love that scene where he, uh, you know, he's just talking to her, but then he starts calling her Nancy. And then all of a sudden, when he, she looks at him outside and then it, go, it cuts back to Heather and it cuts back and he's just wearing the total outfit with the badge and everything. And, and then he, when he walks to the car, it's the police car yep. that he gets into. And then you see it's the house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's the house. It's such a great turn. And he, he, he's so great because he just falls right back into that yep. role. 
And it's so creepy because it's like he doesn't even know what's going on. You yeah. know, it's just like the line is just so blurred now. I, I love that. And he I does that it. classic, like, you know how much I love you without actually like, yeah, you know, I love you, baby. I, I thought the whole running joke of his character in the original series is that like, he always says that and yet he never shows it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know? he's just a total dick. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I kind of like that, that they, they lean on that. My thing with that is that it's, it's again, one of those things where you're like, you see it and you're like, there's so much potential with what they just did there. And like, in a, in a, in a, instead of like jumping into this ludicrous hell that, you know, the South Park hell um, that we're going to call it now, um, it's, I would have liked to have seen more of that, you know, where, and, and they do that on, honestly in like Scream 3 when she's like on the set and she's, you know, in the Woodsboro set and a little bit where you, she, you kind of have that weird sort of uncanny valley-ness to it. Mm-hmm. And I really wish they would have leaned in that more for the finale as opposed to just going into this like Greek hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is like, why is it Greek? What, what has happened? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, I think it's probably my favorite moment in the movie for yeah. sure. It's just so imaginative. It does take you back to like the original one where you're mm-hmm. like, the, the lines are totally blurred. Um, Hey, Saxon, I would love to spend the day in a park with Saxon. Oh, I know. Right. It's so you relaxing. Know. But, uh, I'd also love to spend the day in a living room <laughs> with Craven. Yeah, I was gonna say, what are we gonna run? We're gonna run through the the Nightmare Three, which is uh, uh, Bob Shea, Wes Craven, and Sarah Risher. Yeah, the Holy Trinity. They're all the father, here: the mother, the son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Dan. Uh, and we're gonna talk about Craven first. What do you guys think about his performance in this film? Cut the uh, FX. Not, not great. Not great. I don't think. Uh, no. I, it doesn't really bother me, but I think he's just so he he's almost too low key, which yeah. is weird. Because I usually I usually value that in acting, but um, he's it's weird. He's low key, but his gaze is weird. Like you, he he like always seems like he's kind of looking off camera. I don't know. There's something just slightly off about him mm. in this movie. And like I, I mean, I was saying earlier about the first drafts of the script where he's being sort of haunted and like he knows he has to finish the script or he'll die. He seems like super chill, like way too chill, given the, yeah, the context exactly. of the situation. Like he's just like hanging out in his mansion. There's a moment in the cemetery where like the birds fly away and he looks up and it's like you see a little flash yeah. of, oh, something else, something spooky's going yeah. on, you know, but I get none of that during his conversation with Nancy and it was disappointing maybe, to me. maybe it's also because that because i was listening to it with the commentary maybe it's like i could tell he wasn't using his natural voice you know what i mean like i can tell he's like trying to be chill that it, it, there's just well, this sort of desperation between it yeah and i think the problem the problem is with some of these people is they're not actors right these are producers yeah, and bob shea i think so. bob shea knocks it out of the park in this i think that's <laughs> oh, come on heather they love like, the, the but 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 it comes off it, it, it feels like that yeah. You know, I mean, he's 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 acting, but it's also like, yeah, you know, I, I, he's a producer. Again, I really wanted you don't have to have England in it, but I really wanted like he walks in or she walks in. He's like, oh, yeah, take a seat. And his conversation turns. It's just like, you think you're going to fucking you're going to you're gonna take money out of my pocket? <laughs> Fuck you. No, but and I, he just I goes off say, and he's like, oh, hey, Heather. But just like I, when he gets the I, phone I, call. Sorry, Dan, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and I, I, I do want to say it's not a deal breaker at all for me because the, because the whole game of this movie is like, oh, these are like, we know they're not actors. Right. So it doesn't really bother me too, too much. It was kind of, it's kind of like in a, in Treme where like Dr. John shows up and he's like, not great. He's just kind of being Dr. Mm. John, but you're like, you, you buy it, you know? So like, even though Wes Craven isn't awesome in it, like, I, I think it's, it's fine. Right. Like it would have been a bigger deal if, if Heather Langkamp was not good in the movie, but like, because we know. Yeah, with the movie studio, it's fine. At least if he was in more of the movie, I think it would have been a hard, a hard sell. I do want to say that he uh, he collects Stephen King first editions. He does. Oh yeah, we see the old Cooge in the background. Yeah, Mm -hmm. 
I, uh, let, let's put it this way. He's uh, I, I, I prefer his performance as Fred the Janitor in the Scream movie. <laughs> uh, not, uh, Fred, uh, not you, Fred. I've got next to next to all three of these. I wrote, like, next to Wes, I wrote fun little performance, and then Bob Shea, Bob Shea, I wrote fun performance, <laughs> and then Sarah Risher, I wrote. Nice to see Sarah. <laughs> I like, I thought Bob Shea, one, apparently they set aside like two days to film Bob Shea's performance because he was really worried about like if he would know his lines and all this. Um, but they said they, they wrapped early because Bob Shea was like a real pro. He just, he, he, I, I thought he, I think Bob Shea's, I think he's the MVP out of those three. What do you guys I, think? I, I do. I, I think that he's good in that scene. I like the, the moment where the phone rings and you can, you can see on his face that he's genuinely like a little yeah. concerned. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I thought he did a good job. I thought, yeah, I he, thought they all three did a, a fine job. Although I feel like maybe to your point, there's with like Craven, um, uh, Dan, that he might just be in a trance. You know, I feel like that's kind of what he was maybe in. I mean, because he's literally like having to conduct. Like, if we're supposed to look at like what the script is supposed to represent in this movie, he's like maybe supposed to be this like sort of creator that's just like under control of whatever forces mm-hmm. are happening. And maybe that's why he's so like subdued. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, a I, conduit. Yeah. I think that they just, I just think it was a choice that didn't quite work. Like they needed yeah. to either, if they were going to go that route, they needed to indicate it more. And I mean, you know, it's like you said, they're not actors, but I think that they probably thought it would be too complicated to introduce that element into the script. And it, mm-hmm. it just takes, again, it's just these little things that take me out of it. I'm like, why are you not freaked out? Like, yeah. or <laughs> clearly hypnotized like one or the other. Um, well, something I kind of gathered from that too, though. And I think it's just, when you have to put the puzzle pieces together, I made sense of it. Like he, he had to do this before with the first nightmare. Mm-hmm. So it, it's almost like now he's got to do it again kind of thing. Because why would, why would he have that uh, whole idea and the whole, the whole idea of like capturing that evil in a story. And he was like a nightmare did that. And so it's like, I felt like this is, this isn't the first time this has happened almost. You well, know what I mean? He, Except, we had this debate in when we were watching it was that like, he seems apologetic for including Dylan which means that you'd think he knows what's going on. Yeah, and that's why I think they needed the like reveal of like he takes her into the room and like a back office and it's got like all the occult things on the walls and he's like, you know, like ley lines and he's like I've summoned the but, energy yeah. of, you know. <laughs> but also yeah. I I just I just uh I just proved myself wrong because in that scene he says when she says like did you, you knew that this was real that that Chase was going to die and he's like no, I didn't realize until like he doesn't realize that what that what he's writing is coming to fruition yeah. until after the funeral. Yeah. So like he so this isn't something that he's ever done before, yeah. but I think he's just, you know, what can you do? Well, it would have been really interesting <laughs> if like at that moment this movie just becomes like John Candy's delirious so that he just actually becomes self aware that he what he's writing actually comes to fruition. And he looks at the camera yeah. and he winks. You know, um, um uh, there's there's two other actors I felt like we should probably oh, mention. Totally. Yeah. Um which is the cab driver. Oh yeah, the limo uh, driver. The limo, driver. <laughs> yeah. uh, limo driver. What a creep. Creep. creep just so fantastic. creepy. He couldn't tell he couldn't fucking decide whether to keep his hat on or not. Yeah, yeah. He just he's uh, insecure maybe about yeah, his Co- hairline. Co- Coley Fredrickson yeah. is his name, I believe. He reminds me of I, like the, the the that scene where she like puts up the, the divider reminds me of like spinal tap. Totally. When, <laughs> yeah. With Bruno Kirby. Yeah. Wait, wait, he's talking about Frank Sinatra. Yeah. He just like totally ignore him. You know. I, I do like that the limo driver I feel like um Wes Craven in the story plants a lot of red herrings early on, like, Oh, is the creepy stalker, the limo driver? Uh, you know, I don't know. I feel like he just adds a sense of dread throughout the first half hour of the movie, yeah. which I think is pretty effective. Like when we're sort of wondering or figuring out what's going on. What about, uh, what about Lynn Shea, Bob Shea's sister? Who's, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. the teacher uh, and they were 
I was going to say, if she's a nurse in this universe, who played the teacher in the first film? You know what well, I'm saying? It's yeah. like, I, this is like where I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. And I start, that's I, like James Hunt Bob then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, if you think about it too much, it gets like, ugh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah I did that. And these are just more cameos, but, you know, at the funeral when we see... Uh, you know, the actor that played Rod in the first film, yeah. Tuesday Night. Well, you were saying you wish that we had a scene with him. Yeah, I think it would have been great if she had, like, during the funeral, like, she had walked. And it would almost mirror the scene where she's walking with Rod after mm-hmm. uh, the, the morning after Tina's death in the in the woods. And they're, like, he's saying, like, oh, you know, like, I didn't do it and you know, all that stuff. But just, like, have a moment where they're talking and, and maybe he had a dream, too. Yeah. yeah. It, it kind of mirrors that that oh, that sequence in the first I would have loved that. About it it would have been dreams. really yeah. creepy if, like, at the end of the thing, he's just like, you know, I, I didn't do it, Nancy. Oh, and, yeah. Like, or just like, and, and then she's, she's like, like, what? Wait, what? And like, then, we kind of, like, he, he, she gets he just, called away or something. Yeah. So, like, you don't get to Totally. Go into that. Such yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Look, we just need to rewrite this movie. Yeah, we just, we got to do it. We got to do it. Again, another spec script. We got two coming out. There's one more character that we really need to talk about. And we kind of already talked about it before, but Dr. Christine Hefner. Okay, yeah. Played by Fran Bennett. Great. Amazing. I think she's great in this. Yeah. She's really, she frightened. I mean, like, she's really intimidating. You feel like she is the weight of authority that could be threatening you and your fa- family, you know, but she's doing it from this place of uh, the best interests. It's, yeah, I mean, it's got a little bit of like a nurse ratchet quality oh, totally. to it. Oh, yeah. And she's apparently a, a renowned Shakespearean actor. She, she is. He wanted, he wanted someone really imposing for that role. I could um, see it. And she's great. Because you always have these doctors that like think they know best and they're trying to put you to sleep when you're telling them we don't don't put us to sleep, you know, and it's, again, it's, it yeah. she becomes <laughs> that heightened personality as soon as we get to the hospital again the, with this, a changeover. The CDC needs to catalog this phenomenon so that like there's a bulletin out to all the doctors, like a peer reviewed paper that's like, if someone presents with these symptoms, do not <laughs> put them to sleep. It will kill them. Yeah. I, I, what I liked about her is that unlike a lot of the doctors that we see in Weston Hills and Nightmare 3, I believe and understand where she's coming from. You know, like I get like, you know, like, oh yeah, of course she seems, because like on the surface, you know, she absolutely seems crazy, you know, like because this is set in in reality. Yeah. Quote. Exactly. Like you, you do buy it. You're like, yeah, "Yeah, this woman's crazy. She thinks Freddie's coming to get her son. Right. And she thinks she's been like keeping her kid awake for God knows how long, you know? And yeah. Yeah. We've talked about all the talent on this set, but what about all the Great graphics. Ah! What do you know? I beat my high score. <laughs> what do we think? This is, you know, the, the final hurrah of final. one of the most imaginative horror series of all time. Easily the most imaginative horror series of all time. How do we think about the graphics here? Uh, we're talking about nightmares here, right? Yeah, yeah. Then... Uh, something Justin said at the beginning. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep referencing Justin because he's not here. Something he said at the beginning of watching this was that, like, are there really any nightmares? Because this we're in the reality, and but but I, I but then we watch the movie, and you're like, oh no, yeah, people are falling asleep left and right, and that's when these things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some good. I think there's a few good good nightmares in there, but it's interesting because some of them don't even involve Freddy, like the the one where she sees you know Miko. Or Dylan downstairs, and then he's got the finger knives and attacks her, and she wakes up with the, you know, or um, I, I, just some of those those little moments, or or even the, the moments, the, the almost like daydream stuff, which they doubled down with in the remake, where where like she picks up the phone and she, is that is it him or is it the stalker again, or there's a there's an earthquake, but then 
when Julie comes in, she's like, oh, no, it was just a big truck that went by. But it was clearly an earthquake. Because mm-hmm. when we were with Heather and Dylan, it's an earthquake. So stuff like that. Are we talking about nightmares in this section? Or is that not welcome to primetime, bitch? That's the best nightmare. Oh, okay. So this we're just talking. Okay, I got confused because my notes were So we do both. It's like both. Yeah. Well, well, usually I feel like we what we normally do is talk about the the nightmares when we talk about the cast members. We, we go through each death as we yeah, go through each Yeah, but they person. don't really... Any. We didn't really do that this time. So, well, a little bit. So I felt like bringing up these... Okay. And then we can talk about the graphics, obviously, as, as talking as about part those, of that. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. Um... Um, <laughs> Sorry, I ruined everything. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. Because um, this is yeah, we just got to find the marriage here for this. So um, I just think we, I just think we start with I just think we go through the movie death wise. Okay, and, yeah. and talk about the graphics in that sense. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think we you know they blur the lines between what's actually reality and what's nightmare. Um, having said that, I think the execution uh, varies for the most part. Yeah. You know, I, I think that. You know, we get to revisit a lot of old school deaths. I mean, obviously, right. we get kind of Tina revisited mm-hmm. uh, with Julie. I still think is one of the more effective scenes in the. Movie. Oh, I do too. Yeah, and I think they actually have a little bit more fun by actually seeing Freddy because you don't really see Freddy. It's also for the most so part. brightly lit in that room. Yeah, so it's like even more jarring. I that agree. You see that happening. Yeah. Yeah, and <sighs> and then they also kind of recreate Dan's death. Uh, not you. Caffrey, but uh, Dan from the uh, Nightmare <laughs> Five. What? <laughs> what? Oh, no. Um, but Dan, um, Dan's been dead this whole time. Oh my god! Whoa. Well, if that's Dan in the cemetery, who's Dan on, on the line in, in Austin, Skype? Texas. No, um, but I, I feel like that the whole chase death is kind of like an homage to what happens with Dan in Nightmare Five when he's on the road yeah, and, and yeah. falls asleep he's and dies truck, too. Yeah. So I feel like there are little you know echoes here and there that I mean, if you think about when this movie was released, so it's 1994 early nineties, if this is supposed to be seen as the, the quote unquote real final chapter, think about what TV shows did at the time when it was a final chapter. It was, let's go back and have memories and let's look back at old episodes. I mean, fucking X-Files did it for Christ's sake Mm -hmm. even. And it would just be like, let's have a clip show type thing. I almost feel like this, this movie does that in a way. Um, but then I'll obviously builds upon it. The opening is the the creation of the new glove. Yeah. Yeah. Or the mechanical glove in the dream. And how do we? Th- what do you think about the effects with the mechanical glove? I think they're I, pretty. I thought that was pretty. I think they're good. Yeah, that yeah. comes off. I mean, the only the only moment I, I think the effects really fail for me is the uh, is that that CGI world in the end a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they even said they just used some kind of program, almost like a SimCity thing, to create a lot of that. I mean, I guess <laughs> I could argue that like the. Oh, no. uh, I know, yeah, he said he's like, oh, we used like some, per- yeah, it, it sounded very like not thought out. Um, I guess you could argue the highway sequence maybe looks a little fake, but that doesn't really bother me. I don't I know that, because that's I, a quick cut that I still yeah. buy a lot of that. Too. And they actually and shot they, it on a highway too. Um, yeah, and like like you guys were saying, that's the, that's sort of the moment where the movie starts to go purposely go bananas a little bit. So I, I right, find yeah. that we're taken out of it all of a sudden. But yeah, I, th- I think the only time it really is a deal breaker is just the, like that shitty pterodactyl <laughs> at the end of the, yeah, it's, uh, it's all that stuff in hell that breaks down for me. There's like elements of, um, like it looks like part of it is CGI. And then in front of it is like a composited layer of fire and it looks really flat and weird. And I, and I think because this series is so known for its practical effects, it's kind of just like, again, I get that these were new, technologies at the time and they wanted to introduce that and probably it looked very effective at the time but again it just for me watching it as a fan of the franchise it takes me out of it 
Yeah, it does. I mean, and for, for me, a lot of it just comes down to why do you have to go bigger? You know, I mean, I know that this is the final chapter, but you don't need to go bigger. Like, and, and that's just going to be always a, a stupid gripe of mine because obviously they're going to go bigger. I mean, and they wanted this to be a blockbuster. They wanted this to be, you know, the big comeback after Freddy's dead. But I mean, for me, it's like the, the, the best parts of this series, especially if we're going to be looking at our own retrospective as we're at the seventh chapter now is when the show, when it's low key, but just realistic enough to go, man, how did they do that? Like, how the hell did they well, do that? Is, and I don't get that here in this movie. So there's two things I want to bring up with, was one's an idea and one's commentary on that is, you know, obviously like you were saying, uh, Lara at the time, these are the effects that we had. Some of it was groundbreaking at the time. So even at the time we might've been like, eh, it didn't really work, but they thought, Oh, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. Um, and obviously they were trying to do that with the, the Freddy's dead with the 3d and all that shit and, and the demons and all that. But, um, I, we were saying, why does hell look the way it does? It's very like stereotypical almost in a way, but I was saying that it's, it's Dylan's dream that mm-hmm. she's being pulled into. And this is what Dylan sees. And that's why like the Hansel and Gretel, uh, you know, fireplaces, the furnace and stuff, tra- yeah. trap them in and stuff, because it's all from Dylan's, what Dylan views as Freddy's lair. But on that point, I think a, a stronger choice would have been because Dylan has continuously been, been watching footage from the movies over the, the week. Yes. If, if when she followed him into the dream, she had to walk through parts of each movie to get to Which Dylan. would have been so fucking so cool. cool. And like so really cool. thematic. Because like I think yeah. what really bothers me about that whole hell sequence is it's just like why? You know, I, yeah. get, I get, you know, again, like if you're going to make it like child's version of hell, you need that to be more clear. And then this whole thing with snakes. Why snakes? Like we have not established. Like a Freddy's stuff is always related to the fear of the person he's terrorizing. If they had at least established that the kid had a fear of snakes or something, but it's like it just it just there's a lot of like why for me. Yeah, it's it's very like um, <laughs> to quote Leonardo DiCaprio from uh, Aviator Guff, uh, <laughs> where I just think like it's just like horror guff for the sake of horror guff, and yeah. and and that's just not scary to me. And it also doesn't help that a lot of the practical effects in that final scene are more garish than mo- majority of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was saying, you know, on the, the first watch a few weeks ago, it's like. The fucking effects in Nightmare Three are better than this at, po- at points, and, and and I and I I don't know if it's like the the crew they got back because they did get a lot of things right. Um, you know, like I think a lot of the design work for for Freddy does work in in certain respects, but you know, this is David Miller who was brought back, and he was from the original one, you know, with it, but he also did Freddy's Dead, and you guys ragged like crazy on that. Well, on and that you can design. tell, you know, I think the main problem with it is when. At the time, they were probably spending more money on CG effects yeah. than they were. Where it's now, it's like almost cheaper to do CG than it is to do physical effects mm-hmm. because they've really fine tuned it and figured out ways to do that stuff uh, more easily. But um, but yeah, at the time, they were probably just trying to pour money into CG, thinking that this is going to make it look more bigger, uh, more expensive, more yeah. more elaborate, more you know, fantastic. Well, you know, it's kind of um, sad. It just doesn't. It didn't quite land. Like I think that I point that stuff out now, but I think when I originally watched the movie, right. it didn't phase me as much because we didn't have all this other stuff now. Mm-hmm. But when you go back and you revisit it, you're like, oh wow, those effects really aren't that good. You kind of have to put yourself in the yeah in the in the, the original King Kong mode where you're like, why did this movie win all these awards? You know, be, yeah. because at the time it was it was groundbreaking and mm-hmm. it was cool. However, I think even at the time, we probably were like, eh, well, at the yeah. time, the biggest fad, I mean, so this is 94, the big, one of the biggest movies that year, um, was Forrest Gump 
And one of the biggest things in Forrest Gump was using old footage oh, and yeah, actually reinserting yeah. it. So but to that point, that would have been awesome. Yeah. Like imagine like she's it. looking for Dylan and she opens a door and it's just the fucking blood spewing from the, the bed. And totally. she has like a look under the bed for Dylan and stuff while all this yeah, is. Oh, yeah. And that would have been. walking through the old house. Yeah. yeah. And then each door is, is one of the movies. Or, or <laughs> you've got Tuesday Night and Rod and the, uh, the actor. The Bring back Rod Lisa Wilcox. You, like, right. like have them kind of show up. Play and, as like their she's pulling them into the dream just like Lisa Wilcox. That would have been a nod to Dream Warriors. Yeah. It would oh, have been, like, been so fucking cool. Yeah. It would have been really cool. Dylan even says like, can I bring you into my dreams? Or mm-hmm. can you bring me into your dream or something like that? So it's like they oh, they set it up and then they didn't, you know, knock it down. Um, it's also, it's like, I'm, I'm envisioning this as eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yes. But like, you know, with her crawling through a door one way and then it like tips. They got the rotating room. They had all the puzzle yeah. pieces. Yeah. They just didn't put it together right. I know. Yeah. They even I have mean, like the cleaning lamps. It's definitely a more ambitious, huge kind yeah. of finale, Oh my God. But man, yeah. that would have been so cool. Look, listeners, I, I think, I hope if you're listening and you're all like, oh my God, why couldn't this have happened? Just, uh, you know, tweet New Line. Um, and, yeah. and just hey, tell us, like, we that, got a new this team. Is that Are they around sequel. anymore? Isn't New Line like their own? Yeah, they're, 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 they're uh, putting out it. So like they're, they're owned by Warner Brothers. So, hmm. you know. They got but, swallowed like Miko by Freddy's face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So ultimately, the graphics kind of suffered mm-hmm. a little bit on this I, one. I did want to mention the the tongue thing, um, yeah. uh, because uh, mostly because it's I, I liked it, but it's gross. But um, uh, he- Heather Langenkamp in that same documentary says it's the least favorite thing she ever did for the franchise because you know it's like completely covering and constricting her face. And she said all the guys were making like she essentially intimated that all the guys were making dick jokes the whole time. And she was like, when you're the only woman on set and there's a bunch of men around you wrapping this phallic thing around your head, she's like, it really was awful. And I was like, that sounds horrible. Yeah, that sounds sounds awful. That sounds scary in the movie. Yeah. Well, then I'm just picturing like she was saying, oh, most, most FX guys are not like, the dude in the movie. So it's just all these metal guys like, Hey, Heather, you like that? You know, just be, be Oh God, they're probably like listening to tool or something like that too. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I (laughs) got it right. Hey, tool, the new album covers got snake scales on it. So maybe it's uh, inspired by uh, Freddie or the Greek mythology. Um, the thing that I really thought that to that point is that she really does give it her all in terms of like, the effects that she has to go through and granted it's probably also because you know she's uh, she's married to an effects wizard and mm-hmm. so she knew the, the the kind of rigmarole that you have to go through but like even the stuff where like you know um dylan throws up on her in the fangoria issue that i'm reading um from this she talks about how like or they talk about how like it smells so bad that people couldn't even come from a close enough distance to talk to her Whoa. and they say so just like had to leave her there it was it was a mixture of clam chowder and bean soup oh, oh why and so like disgusting. flies were bur- yeah. buzzing around and stuff why and, did you i feel like they could have done it without the clams at yeah. least like at least yeah, get the clams have- out of there Ugh, oh, that's so nasty. Yeah. You could have used like minestrone or something like that. Right, something a little more pleasant yeah. out, of, out of the can. Uh, well, we got to pick our favorite dream, which is going to be a little hard. In a section we like to call Welcome to, to Prime Time, bitch. <laughs> Were we all supposed to say that? We're all supposed to say it at the same time. It's okay, but I think it worked in that in that respect. What do we think is the best nightmare here? I mean, if we are going to assume that these are quote unquote nightmares, I mean, I would say by default, in a way, the opening one, just because it's the most extravagant, and Mm -hmm. because I I don't like the the truck one because like in Dan's truck, because I don't or not Dan, sorry, the um, chase or whatever, because we I don't like that we actually see it. I I think it, it weakens the story a little bit, and. 
I mean, I guess the hospital one's pretty. I, I don't know. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm like talking too much. What, what do you get? I, I'm, I'm just gonna say that. Dan's just one running through all the dreams, but that's good because we didn't get to talk all. about everything. Yeah, I'm gonna say the first one because it feels the most like a traditional Nightmare on Elm Street nightmare, and I do think the effects are really cool, and I, I think it, it establishes the conceit of the movie really well, just blurring the lines between fact and, and fiction. So that, that's mine. I think I'm gonna echo that. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I think I, yeah, like I think it's a great opening. Uh, because like what you were saying, like ultimately you're, you're so drawn in because you're like, Oh wow, this is just like the opening for nightmare. And then all of a sudden you see it's not. And then you're like, it's, it must've been so overwhelming. If let's say in the nineties, you're not like reading Fangoria, you're not reading Sinscape. You're not like looking online. If you had prodigy at that point and you go in this movie and you're like, all right, we're going to get this fucking cool meaty Freddy. And imagine you hadn't watched the trailers either. Cause I'm, the trailers obviously um, reveal all this stuff, but just as a cold open, it's so jarring to be like, Oh wow, we are on the set, but we're still on the set and it's still happening. And the nightmare is still happening. Like it's such a cool, um, uh, subversion of what the original nightmare was at that point. And I think that's probably the movie at its smartest in that idea. So I would agree with you, Dan, for sure. Uh, I, for me, I think the, the moment in the, at the funeral when, Mm -hmm. um, Freddie's pulling Dylan into the casket and they go into that like soul-clined casket underworld that because I say this because it was the only moment in the movie that gave me even a little bit of fright like mm-hmm. I, I it literally was like oh ooh, that yeah. was it was creepy because it's the first time you see Freddie as Freddie and um it's just it's actually kind of a, a, a fresh thing and like having the body of the da- dead dad spill out and then he starts talking just that whole little sequence is I thought was genuinely frightening it reminded me a little of like an it kind of sequence mm-hmm. like to, it, it, I liked it a lot yeah yeah uh that yeah that's that's probably mine too and, and oh, we got a split here no uh, I like that but mm-hmm. it, there was a couple there's a couple other like moments and it, and it harkens back to the trailer like I just remember watching that trailer and that sequence where they kind of they kind of show some of the highway stuff with with Dylan, but then you see like the like twenty Freddies coming up yeah. the behind the thing. Like the imagery of that is really creepy to me. And they don't do anything with it in the movie except no. you know it's to, to to know that he's he's like coming after Dylan. Maybe all it. maybe all twenty of those Freddies like went to like a steak and shake down the road. And, <laughs> um, and, and then also some, something we didn't mention was like uh, the movie posters um, that the, there is that one of him like in the clouds, and I always thought yeah. that was really dreamy and surreal and kind of m- mirrored some of the original posters and totally. I, I like that. Although I do just love the eyes as yeah. well, but yeah. yeah, that funeral sequence for me is probably, it is genuinely scary. It's, mm-hmm. it's creepy. Just all of a sudden he's just there like pulling him down. Yeah. And it's creepy. And then, and then when chase like comes alive and he's like, stay with me and all that stuff, it's really just dark. It feels real. Like it's mm-hmm. like a, like an actual moment of death and like the yeah. underworld coming for you. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, be- I, I think I'm going to leave you Caffrey inside with that. Oh. No, um, no, <laughs> no, but like even, even like when you think about like the, the mechanics of that grave and how like you go through the casket but then there's another hallway almost it looks like it's towards the the left a little bit like you go in and then you crawl so it's like a crawl space within this casket it's so dreamy and it's so how you would imagine like your 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 dreams taking you to the the zigs and zags and yeah i don't know it, there there is something like really lucid about it too it, at the same time it's mirrored a little later and like right before the hell sequence i really like when nancy is crawling through the sheet tunnel and, yeah. and following the breadcrumb trail of pills like i thought that was a nice another nice nod to hansel and gretel it's yeah. like entering the woods you know yeah um and then it all goes cgi anyway. if only she would have popped out of her bed in the in the first one i know cool. uh. no no it'll be interesting i'm just thinking about the funeral sequence because it on one hand i sort of like how they 
that's kind of the first reveal of the new Freddy we get. And I like how he just pops out. On the other hand, I'm like, man, what if we just saw the glove at that point? I think that'd be kind of cool because that shot of the glove coming up is is really neat. And then and then if we if we didn't see Freddy's face until the miss me or whatever it was, wait, did we? Do you guys like the new glove, like the veins and the? I was going to say that there's like four different versions of the new glove where it's like part of his hand or it's just the mechanical glove. Uh, I guess I'm thinking more of the one that he has sort of in the, the latter half of the movie. You know what it looks like is um, on the poster art for the very first nightmare. And we see the glove over Nancy. It doesn't really look like the glove in the movie. I think that's what they designed it to be like down. I I think it's pretty cool. I like it. it. It looks like based on whatever, you know, film they were making in this dream. Like Freddie is supposed to cut off his actual yeah. hand and like put it on like Ash and you know the Evil Dead franchise, mm, which is kind of right. cool. Yeah, um, like would like to see a you know more action oriented Freddie. I think that'd be you know kind of interesting. Mm. Um, <laughs> look, but hey, you already got Super Freddie. We're Super Freddie. Get ready to play. Um, I'm fucking exhausted, but I also don't want some nightmares. I think I'm ready to take some hypnosil. It's too late, Kruger. I know the secret now. This is just a dream. You're not alive. This whole thing is just a dream. I want my mother and friend again. What? I take back every bit of energy I gave you. You're nothing. I love he said I don't want some nightmares. I don't want some nightmares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we got to give our final thoughts. You know, we're we're we're, uh, we're taking this out. You know, we're you know, if you things that we didn't get to discuss, throw them in there also. You know, I know this is a this is an unorthodox movie, so it's a little harder to kind of dissect in our format because you know this is a this doesn't fall into every vertical. So, who wants to go first? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, for me, this. Oh yeah. By the way, oh, we're it's... doing five finger knives because yeah. he has five finger knives mm-hmm. in this movie. Oh, that's good. That's actually really helpful for my my rating. Sweet. <laughs> so five. Yeah. No, because um, I did four. It always screws me up every time. Yeah, I think because we're going five and having finally revisited this under un- having watched everything and really di- really dove into every single movie, or whatever. Uh, I- I'm going to give this one four. For me, it's still really, it's still really good. I, I think the, the the concept is just so strong Agree. that it's got some faults and there's got some things that aren't executed perfectly. But at the same time, you know, this this kind of was was one of the first, at least, horror films to do this mm-hmm. for sure. And I love that. It mm-hmm. still feels fresh, and I think some of the performances are really good. And yes, there's that line, but I, I agree with you, Dan, with the, the Trimé thing, where it's like you have real musicians interacting with actors, and it's like there's this muddy line of what's real and what's not real, and it kind of adds adds it gives it some some real gravity um, that you don't normally get with horror films. And um, but it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, uh, yeah, I love it. It's 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 up there for me uh, in the nightmare the nightmare realm. But I think it's probably like number three for me. But yeah, I'm gonna give it four finger knives uh, four from, to five. from this Fred head. Dan, 
Oh man, it's funny because I feel like I've actually been really critical of the of this movie throughout this episode. But I think we're able to be so critical because the concept is so sound. You know what I mean? Like like it. It's, I feel like it's a concept that makes us want to talk about it and pick it apart, exactly. which is something you can't say for every single Nightmare movie. So I actually really do love this movie. It's probably my third favorite Nightmare behind Dream Warriors in the original, I think. Um, so I am also going to go with four finger knives. I'm tempted to – you know, I'm going to do four finger knives with a little bit of sinew and muscle in between. Not quite a half, not quite four and a half. But nice. Because I, I think it needs that little something extra special. Um, yeah, I, for all my criticisms, I, I still think the movie feels avant-garde even today. I really I really think Wes Craven was being pretty brave with this concept, and I, I think it's a really cool way for him to come back to the series. And, yeah, the movie still kind of blows my mind when I think about it. So, yeah, uh, four with a little bit of sinew. Uh, that's where I'm going. All right, Laura. Yeah, I mean – for all the reasons just stated, I really want to like this movie a lot. Um, I, I think it, like you, we've been talking about it, innovative, like truly the word innovative, mm-hmm. like people overuse it, but it applies here. Um, and I think it's intelligent. Um, but I don't know. I just, I didn't enjoy it as much as many other entries into the, franchise because you know there were just things that kept taking me out of it and taking me out of it um and again maybe it is that i didn't see it when i was younger and i was seeing it for the first time now with my old cynics brain and cynics (laughs) eyeballs and i you know i hate myself for it um but uh yeah and, and it's just i don't know to me it reminded me a little bit of like a married couple that's been at it for a while and they tried to like spice things up by getting into role playing and they're just like it's not completely oh, working uh, and they're, they're both just like okay well they're really trying and I love them for trying I think it's a great idea for them to be this committed to their marriage but um, so I'm going to give it three finger knives I, I just feel like that's my honest feeling with it as much as I think it is a brilliant concept I just it didn't work for me in a lot of places in the execution and I can't give it a higher rating than that for that reason and uh, you know come at me internet <laughs> they're not they're not gonna nobody cares it's no they might <laughs> though I, I think you hit it on the head though I mean you know when I, I watched this when I was really young and mm-hmm. it really hit me hard watching it now we we were noticing a lot of, like I used to think this was like a fiver, you know, yeah. like I used to, I just thought it was excellent, but watching it, you know, I was really, we were really were being critical and noticing a lot of things that I didn't notice before. And, and so it's definitely, it's dropped in my ratings, but I, I think because I do have that connection from when I was younger, when I watched it, that part of me still feels really connected to it. What about you, Mike? I echo a lot of you. I mean, I think that this is, I mean, innovative is the key word here um Mm -hmm. it's obviously for a series that's been imaginative this whole time i really do applaud the fact that like again they could have gone and rebooted this entire thing and done something else and slashed all the sequels away like you know west did or did a legacy sequel or something like that but they didn't and they stuck to their guns and they went from imaginative to innovative and and i and i love them for that and i think that's the majority of the you know the clause uh for this uh you know this rating um, strong adult performances. This is a very adult film, uh, which I really appreciate also. I, I actually really a lot, I, I, I appreciate adult horror and I appreciate that this came from a teen horror, uh, you know, franchise, um, and grew to this area. You know, it's obviously it grew with its audience, as I'd mentioned before. Um, you know, and I love that it capitalizes on all these more adult themes, like, you know, like motherhood and career anxieties and, and stuff that I think a lot of people that were watching at the time were probably going through, you know, having seen like, Hey, let's go see what Freddie's up to. Um, <laughs> I really, I think Langenkamp is in top form. 
phenomenal in this. I think uh, England's back to basics, is, uh, which is, you know, I don't think we applauded him enough in this episode of just being like to be able to go back to being scary after literally just playing 16 bit games <laughs> um, in the previous entry is phenomenal. And it was only three years later. So that's, that's pretty great. But, you know, it's a little long. I think given I think you could probably cut out a few things here um and tighten it up a little bit i think the especially the 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 final curtain call which i have more grievances with than anything is very long um too much too far too explosive um i also think it pulls its punches um with the scares i think that tonally it has a really good sense of dread throughout the whole thing that they ultimately punt for the sort of adventurous ending and that's just craven's sort of trademark um so gets a little you know not too scary a little too muscular but again, it ends on like arguably, I think one of the strongest and most affecting final shots is, you know, with her son laying by the sitting by the bed, reading a book in broad daylight. And I think that there's something really um, meditative and and emotionally affecting about that final shot, especially for a series and where it is. So for that, I really want to say 3.5, but I think given I think I was a little bit more positive than negative there. So I'll go with four. So, you know, four, four finger, finger knives. And, um, but man, I think this episode, if anything, proved that you get four fans together in, in one room here in New Line Cinema, we could have made a great film. <laughs> <laughs> we could have made a really great film. Hey, you know, uh, Depp's not doing anything. We can make that sequel to this film. So. Hey, you know, or just yeah. make a director's cut and just like re- re- reshoot everything. Yeah, I, I love sharing my opinions and talking about how much better I would have done it and then not having to do it. I know. It's just so nice. Yeah, so. I think we should uh, I think we should make a petition for them to reshoot uh, Nightmare. Yeah, like Game <laughs> of Thrones. Yeah. They'll definitely do this. Yeah, this is going to happen. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just yeah, want, yeah. I want a new line to reach out to us and say, hey, we'd love for you guys to be in a, a scene in the new Nightmare on Elm Street movie where Freddy shows up and kills all of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd let it happen. I would love it. Yeah, love yeah. it. Well, hey, we're not done with Freddy yet. You know, we okay, still got too. a few more episodes, surprisingly. Uh, we got one that's still technically in the original universe. Uh, but to get there, we're going to have to, you know, pack our backpacks and go to Camp Crystal Lake because guess what? He's not the only horror icon on screen. Yep. We're, uh, we're going to be meeting Jason Voorhees for the first time, maybe uh, multiple times in this podcast. I don't know. We've been teasing it a lot. Uh, but either way, that's coming at you in September. Uh, and then uh, after that, we're doing uh, the remake in October for spooky season. November, I think we're going to be doing some uh, Freddy's Nightmares, possibly. Very possible. Uh, but yeah, so we got, we got a great arc that's coming up. Uh, until then, um, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts on stitcher we never list the right ones but you know where to find us on there and if you are listening just write us and review us give us the five claws like we just did today uh actually none of us did five claws for this uh, this movie but please give us five claws for this podcast um laura where can they find you uh you can find me on twitter at underalls spelled like it sounds i make weird jokes there that uh are not good yeah but they they do exist that, that's where you, I think that's where you can find me. Oh, I, okay. I have other platforms, but I, you know, I don't need to get into all that. No. Nah. Okay. All right. Well, how about you, Mac? Well, you can find my music at number six dot bandcamp dot com. Where we have an album about dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's dream from the Sandman universe. Yep. Um, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. kind of fun. Uh, and you can also hear me on the Losers Club podcast, uh, which is our Stephen King podcast. Oh, we're going to be busy this month. 
Oh, yeah. We're heading back to dairy. Heading back to dairy this week. Fucking Christ. Uh, Dan, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, you can either either do uh, look, listen to my music at methodisthospital.bandcamp.com. Uh, and then all the links to my other stuff is on my website, dancaffreywrites.com. Uh, I think that has social media and all that stuff on there, too. Very cool. Very cool. And you can find me at Michael Rothman on Twitter. Uh, I also host a weekly show on TuneIn called Relevant Content every uh, Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, if you really want to see me on Instagram on uh, Blue Seattle. So that's a reference to Cameron Crowe's singles, which we will not be talking about on <laughs> Halloween. But, hey, next month we are talking about Freddy versus Jason, Ronnie Yu's film. And, oh, my God, if you thought we were long in Weston Hills Asylum, we are going to be very long on that because that is probably the majority of the discussions that we're going to be having. So pack your bags and whatever you do. Don't fall asleep. Asleep. Consequence Podcast Network.